welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is, what day is it? It's Tuesday. It's September, September 5th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. It certainly feels like Monday, but it's not. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce and Pete and Leroy. Looks like there's somebody else on the board, too. We'll have to see who that is. Uh, And then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up, 855-950-3835. I'm just going to bring Bruce in here. We're going to get started this morning. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. It's a beautiful day here in western Pennsylvania, so uh, everything's good. It's a beautiful day here, too, but it feels like fall already. And that usually doesn't no, happen for us till October. Well, the leaves are starting to fall. But in the, uh, Jeff Bean is going to be with you. He is the inventor and owner of the polishes called Smooth, S-M-O-O-D-E. He's on Kent Island, Maryland. So anyone that's traveling across the Bay Bridge, Route 50, going to the eastern shore, you can look down and see his building that he's in. He's that close to the the bridge. Um, I met him about three years ago at the Annapolis boat show, bought two bottles of his product and set it aside and never did use it. And about three weeks ago, I was waxing part of a boat and there was some black soot on it and nothing wanted to wash it off. And I took his cleaner wax and my gosh, I went across it and it came right off. Nice. And then I followed it up with a polymer, and I was shocked at how smooth everything is. And then it came to me why he calls it smooth. And I mentioned it last week on the radio show, and uh, J.R. Hillhouse from, has a beautiful, stunning 379 with an Ace cert that we repaired years ago. And it's at 1.3 million miles, and he ordered some, so... I asked Jeff to be on the show with us and talk about his product and how he came up with this and what he does. Perfect. We will we will do that. We'll go through our normal open, and then we'll bring Jeff on. We'll talk about that. Looks like some calls are going to start coming in. Um, before we jump into this, I just read this, and this just bothers me. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that, that has to stop, or it's just going to destroy our country. This happened to be in the trucking industry, but... We just see this all over the place now. So listen to this. This guy applied for a truck driving job at Werner, and his application was rejected. He's deaf. Now, I don't know what all the requirements are for somebody to drive a commercial vehicle if they're deaf or not, but this is what happened because they they rejected his application. He was awarded $36 million. But I don't even understand this. The way the way I understand these kind of lawsuits, there has to be some kind of damage. You know, before he applied, he didn't have a truck driving job. And after he applied, he didn't have a truck driving job. Where's the damage? I guess he, he missed an opportunity. And, and maybe it's wrong. Maybe they should have hired him if, if the only reason they didn't hire him was he was deaf. Uh, but $36 million dollars. Come on, what what does that do for anybody? Yeah, just it sets a precedence. It's, it's just ridiculous. It, it is. 
It's just unbelievable. Anyway, all right. It's like Enough. the lady that spilled the McDonald's coffee on her lap in suit and won. Years ago, a guy bought a motorhome, and he's bringing it home for the first time, and he had it on cruise control, and he left the steering wheel and went back to make a cup of coffee, and he crashed, and he sued, and he won, because it didn't say in the owner's manual that you cannot leave the steering wheel when you're on cruise control. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. It, Werner seems to be a target for these kind of things. I talked, there was a couple of years ago, Werner... Werner was in an accident and a couple of children died. It was bad. But the the parents, the, the adults in the car were so negligent in what they did, they were charged criminally and got prison time. So clearly they were very, very negligent. The Werner driver didn't even get a citation. He was not charged in the accident. And they got wow. like $200 million or something out of that one. The... Negligent people got two hundred million. Uh, the children and the family of the children. That there was some family relationship. There were two adults in the car and two children. The adults actually parked the car on the highway and got out and left the car. And the the Warner driver ran into the car sitting there on the highway. And I guess it was over a crest. They actually said, even though the driver ran into the back of the car, they did not cite him at all. They said because of the circumstances, he was not at fault hitting the vehicle. But the adults were at fault. The other adults that were in this car were at fault, and they were charged criminally. Um, but, yeah, some huge settlement over that one, too. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Enough of that. What else you got today, Bruce? Anything else? Well, a man called me about a, an older truck. He wants to put it to work, and he's in Missouri. It's got low flow. It's a big cam, D-Deck 4. I'm sorry, big cam 4. And he asked around and called many, many shops about his overheating. And they said, oh, there's nothing you can do with that. It's low flow cooling. Well, somehow he heard about us and called us. And I said, uh, oh, and it's a 315 horse. And, you know, that's not enough today. And I said, well, we can take the horsepower up to 500 and... It's the same engine that I had in my T600 Kenworth. I said, we can fix it from low flow to high flow. I said, that's not a problem. He said, you can do that in your shop? I said, man, that's a walk in the park for us. And he, he was blown away that uh, he finally met somebody that knew what he was talking about and could fix his problem. And could do it. And so yeah. Pete, Pete and Brian Moan, our shop foreman, are the two that really know the low flow to high flow conversion. So before anybody does it, you need to talk to one of those two guys because other people are trying it and they're not catching everything and they're having problems. One guy tried it and he called us. He instantly goes up to 220 degrees, bobtailing on the on the level. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, so he made a mistake, yeah. you know. He should have yeah. called us first. Yeah. So anytime you have have a friend that's messing with an old big cam and they're not sure of what they're doing, just tell them to call us. You guys have so much experience in that building on that engine. And not just experience yeah. on fixing it. You guys improved that engine for years. You know, I 
sat down one day and I started to list everything, every change we made and everything we came up with for big cams. And I stopped counting at 42 items. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty Nobody awesome. in the world. Oh, I, I wanted to mention this, some old history. The recession in 1992 was a killer for us. I had basically had three choices in life, and one was suicide, the other one was bankruptcy, and the third one was COD. So we, we chose the third one, sent a nice letter out to all the small trucking companies that we dealt with in western Pennsylvania that we gave credit to that couldn't pay, and we lost them all, and we had to start all over again in 1990 basic around 1993. But during 1992, I got a call from a guy that was driving his Mercedes, talking to me on a bag phone, going down the Autobahn in Germany. (laughs) His name was Ken Howard from Burton-on-Trent, England. And he had one of those little cab overs, single axles that they run in Europe, and they do the rally racing, road racing. Yeah. And he wanted a thousand horsepower big cam, and I said, "Wow, whoever told you we could get you a thousand horsepower? Uh, we're between seven and eight hundred right now." He said, "Well, I called Cummins Engineering in Columbus, Indiana, and they said if anybody could do it, you could do it." I said, "Wow." I said, "Okay, well, here we are, deep in this recession, and just hanging on." Right. I would, I would take my credit cards to the bank and and get cash to pay the employees. It was that bad in '92. And I said to him, uh, yeah, I said to him, uh, send me $8,000 and we'll get started on the engineering. Two days later, FedEx brought me a check for $8,000. Man, I tell you, that was like the world to us. And and, uh, and we got together and we built it. And we had it on Cummins Dino in Strasburg. And uh, we had a double charge air cooler on it, after cooler, I should say. We had two in there, and we blew that thing sky high, that charge air cooler. And we that was at around 1,000 horsepower, and the estimate, John Lorenz, who was running the dyno, estimated it to be around 1,200 horsepower. So we brought it home and <clears throat> reworked the after cooler and shipped it to England, and he called me. And he said, man, we got a problem. I said, what's that? I'm thinking after cooler. Yeah. He said, I can't keep the tires from smoking on the straightaways. <laughs> How much horsepower did you give me? And I think I said, uh, our estimates one thousand or 1,200 horsepower. He said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. But, hey, he found a way to harness it. And in 1993, he won seven out of eight races and won the championship. Nice. And that, then he went through a divorce, and that truck ended up in the island of Malta, drag racing. Huh. But anyway, right. that's my story, and that's why we're COD to this day. Yeah, there you because go. Because it, yeah. There you go. All right, I have a question I'm, for I'm you. I'm drinking my beef broth right now, too, by the way. Oh, isn't that nice? And, and my breakfast this morning was one of your beef sticks. Excellent. Excellent. All right. I have a question for you today. I, and I, oh, I heard the lady last Wednesday. She was excellent. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, Trina. The um, She's not really a dentist. Yeah. She was uh, Her background is she was a nurse. She developed all of this without yeah. being a dentist. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Self-taught, just like the fella 
Jeff Bean that's coming on. He's self-taught. We're self-taught here. You're self-taught. There you go. Something about being self-taught, huh? Yeah, that's for sure. All right. About, hey. about 99% of the people listening to this show, they're all self-taught. Yeah, that's for sure. I need to uh, tap into your pickup truck experience. If you were going to buy diesel pickup, any make, any model, I'd like to get a Cummins, um, all the way back to mechanical. In fact, I would prefer mechanical. What would you buy? What would you look for? If you want a 12-valve, which was the uh, ultimate of engines, you would want a 97 or early 98. But 95, 96, 97, or early 98. Okay. What are you going to do with it? It's a farm truck. Okay. That's what you want. No no long trips. So did you get... The, and I just want something... Did you I, get the farm? Yeah, we did. You're a farmer now. Yes, we own, we own a farm. You, so now, you're starting a little bit late, but hey, welcome. <laughs> late? I, I, I think I'm kind of early. I was saving this for retirement. I'm a little early. Mm -hmm. We're just getting... getting okay. Couldn't pass this one up. I may be out there in two weeks, so you'll have to show it to me. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be oh, awesome. Here's what I wanted to say. Here's what we're working with a trash company for the catalyst, the Max Mileage Fuel Born Catalyst. They sent us some records. By the way, they have 12,000 trucks. Do you know what a garbage truck gets for fuel mileage? Uh, if I remember right, I think I did this with OPS once, like two and a half. 1.4 to 4. Okay. So I'm right the there in the that, middle. The yeah. ones that are more rural are doing 4. The city right. ones are doing 1.4. They're giving us six trucks. These trucks are averaging. They run five days a week. So 22 days a month, 44 days. In two months, they have 250 regens. Oh, these things just That's have to be test. a maintenance nightmare. That is our test with the wow. Max Mileage Catalyst. Wow. You're yeah. doing that out here somewhere? Yeah. Okay. Very good. I'll let, right. I'll let you know. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, we'd love to have you out here. That'd be great. No. All right. No. Well, let's uh, let's keep rolling here. Let's find out what uh, what's going on with Pete and Leroy. Good morning, guys. Morning, Kevin. How are you today? Doing wonderful. What's on your mind this really morning? Really nothing today. I was busy this morning. It was like a Monday, even though it was Tuesday. We really got backed up with um, phone calls and estimates and stuff. So today I don't have anything prepared, unfortunately. And I was off Friday. We were closed Monday, so. Well, there you go. Kind of that's that's all right. Mode. I haven't, haven't got full swing of things yet. Yeah, me either. So I'll ask you this because I, we're still kind of seeing it. Did, did, has your supply chain ever gone back to normal? It's gotten better. I wouldn't say back to normal. It's gotten better, but it's erratic as far as what all of a sudden you can't get. Um, you know, we had parts for a X-15 we couldn't get rebuild kits for. Uh, yeah. that, that was on back order out of the blue. Uh, the big camp stuff, uh, some stuff got better, some did not. Uh, it, it changed from what we were not able to get. Now we can get, but we can't get other stuff. And Detroit 
generally pretty de- decent, but it's hit or miss. You just might order a set of injectors and all of a sudden they don't have them. So it's still not 100% by any means. It just makes things a lot harder trying to keep inventory, get a truck in, in and out in a timely manner. I mean, we just have no control over what, um, you know, if we can't get a part, we just can't get the truck done. Yeah, that sounds exactly what we're dealing with. It's not as bad as it was. We're not, you know, just always out of stuff waiting, but it's not like it used to be. It, it never used to be like this. You used to just order stuff and it showed up. There were never issues of, well, we don't have that or you're going to have to wait. And now, like you said, it's so random and it changes that you just don't have the same confidence anymore that you're going to be able to do everything. Now, when I check for parts with Cummins, I, I will put in, like, just say I need one of an item. I put in five because if they have four of them, I'm comfortable saying, oh, I can get them in a day or two. Because right. if I put in five and they have one, by the time I order it, someone else might have already been, you know, in the process of ordering it while I'm looking at it. Yeah. So that becomes an issue. And I see that quite a bit when I order a part that they only have one of something. And, you know, all of, um, you know, my... Cummins Warehouse is out of uh, you know people from PA, Eastern Ohio, part of New York, uh, are all pulling from the same area. Right. So there's a lot of shops from like, well, buying for the same part. And that's you just described truck country. There, there's an awful lot of trucks and shops in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Leroy. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, everybody sounds a little tired today. Must have been the holiday weekend. I'm feeling it too. The allergies have been getting me this weekend, and I just I just feel cloudy today. Mentally, not cloudy. 100%. That's a that's a good description. Okay. I feel a little cloudy myself this morning. Yeah. Boy, I don't. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> it's that uh, beef stick in this beef broth. Say, there, I feel great. There you go. That's probably the trick right there. Hey, Leroy, I haven't yeah, seen a. Uh, I haven't seen a, a laptop here yet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> yeah. I, well we probably I, talked about it on the show and then just never thought about it again. Yeah, we talk too much about stuff and then you can't remember it all. But yeah, I have uh it, the coach is scheduled to come out of the shop on the twenty ninth and I've gotta be leaving here by probably the tenth. Although um, our travel plans have changed dramatically now that we bought a farm and we own chickens now. Um, yeah, except I have a, uh, I have a job opening on the farm already. Can't believe it. We, we don't even have the thing yet. And I already have a job opening. Um, I need a new rooster. The last one got eaten by Wiley Coyote. <laughs> I hate when that happens. I know. Yeah. it's uh, They're definitely free range. They have the run of the place all day long, and there's no fencing, so they can just run around out in the woods or wherever they want. But I guess the coyote got the rooster. So we need a new one. Where do you buy a rooster? I don't know any of this stuff. I'm so dumb. I'm buying a farm, and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know where to go buy a rooster. Forrest Lucas, Lucas Oil had some down in Riverside, California. I don't know if he still does. Yeah, it's just, is there like a rooster store somewhere? Uh, yeah. I would think most somebody, most feed somebody. Yeah, I, I. Well, part of the problem is I know I went to the farm store and they usually have all the bins full of you know new chicks, 
which is really fun because they all look different. I know I'm going to be buying chickens all the time now. Um, but I need uh, – they don't have any in right now. I don't think they have them this time of year. And I need a full-grown rooster. And I can't wait for one to grow up. So somebody that'll call in the show, I'll know where to get one. Yeah, I'm sure I'll I'll get a lot plenty, of farmers. I'll get plenty of advice before the day's over. Um, They're like Tijuana, something. Yeah, they have some like. <laughs> they might be a little bruised, but yeah. you know, might fighting chicken slightly aggressive. Little little on the aggressive side, yeah. All right. Maybe that's your your spin on your you know. The, the meat, you know, if you sell the meat, it'll make you more aggressive. That's it's it. Genetically it's, it's high, and, high you know. testosterone chicken meat. That's what we'll call it. Marketing. Yeah. You don't need to do testosterone replacement therapy. That's I right. mean, just eat aggressive chicken. Yeah. But, but first you have to chase him down and chop his head off. That'll add to your testosterone too. Yeah. Yeah. So what's on your mind today? Other than chickens. Well, yeah, other than chickens. Um, I guess one short update from last week, I talked about the we were doing a vibration analysis on the uh, a truck we had in the shop with a Caterpillar engine. And I noticed last week that it was a some sort of combustion-related event. We weren't sure if it was a crankshaft damper or like something with the clutch or something internal. And what we ended up finding was something really simple. Um, it was just a, a cylinder. Cylinder number five was misfiring but uh, there was no check engine lights for it. Um, nothing like that. The customer never really complained about it. He felt that it had a misfire. He just said it had a vibration. And it turned out like cylinder number five was dead. So we put a, uh, an injector in it, and it feels great now. Oh, nice. Huh. No check Do you have the new machine or... on it? Yeah, yeah, we diagnosed it with the, uh, the new vibration analysis machine. So Good. Very nice. So yeah, that was uh, called a BBM, right? No, BAM. Vibration analysis machine, the BAM. Yeah, there you go. We'll call it that. Um, yeah, so it's it's good that uh, you know we have successful cases with it. Um, so you know, as long as we just get more vibrations in here, I think we were supposed to have one today, but I don't know if it showed up. But yeah, the more uh, success and the more practice I get with the the tool, the better we'll get, and you know. Maybe someday specialize in finding vibrations. So, all right, there we go. And Bruce, you you certainly called it. I already have my first advice. Um, Wade sent me a text that uh, I can probably find one on Craigslist, and they usually cost uh, like fifteen to forty five dollars. How easy? A rooster. A rooster. Who would have mm-hmm. known? What's crazy is they normally kill the roosters uh, when they have the chicks. So all the males are generally euthanized. Yeah, I think that. I don't that's, know if you knew that. Yeah, somebody said something, and that's why I guess it's harder to find roosters, mature roosters. Yeah, because you know, if you're raising eggs, you don't want the roosters around. Well, you know, see, I didn't even know that. That's what I thought, too. But I asked the, the people who were buying the farm from, and they said, no, that the, the eggs will be fertilized, and it's okay. Okay. They said there'll be a tiny little speck in there, like the size of a grain of pepper. And if you want, you can just take it out or you just eat them. He said, but they keep the rooster around all the time, especially out here, I guess, because they need somebody to try to protect them from the coyote. I guess it worked last time. We sacrificed the rooster. 
Yeah, and then I think they protect him from Hawks. You know, smaller game, not a whole lot they can do against a coyote or a fox. But I think yeah. uh, birds of prey defend have, them or try to defend the ends with. We have lots of birds of prey here too. We've got eagles, we've got ospreys, we've got all kinds of hawks. Yeah, it's uh, so the. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Could we could we get our guest on because he yes. may have to get on with his business? We can. Let's do that right now. So uh, let's bring on Jeff Bean. He is the uh, founder of Smooth Products. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we doing today? Good. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Yeah. Hey, I'll 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 tell you. Um, I've known Bruce a long time. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Bruce is not easily impressed. Bruce has seen a lot of stuff, and he's not easily impressed. So when he is, uh, I'm curious. So tell us about this stuff. And and Bruce and I both go. Well, that- Way, way back, you know, both of us did body work and painted cars, and we've all been through the pink fill and glaze era, and uh, things have come a long way from that, haven't they? They certainly have. Actually, Bruce and I were talking the other day, and he was talking about another product, and I, and I said, do you still have a tube TV in your house? Probably not. So technology's come a long way. Everybody's got LCD TVs, but... Protective coatings have their technology just as well as anything else does. Yeah, so, tell us about um, it. I can give you a, I can give you a little idea about how it started, you know, and, and uh, go back to the theme of like the recession. Um, in the downturn in 08, 09, I was like a one-trick pony. I was just a yacht broker, and of course, boats didn't slow down selling back then. They just stopped. So right. we started. I started a, a yacht management detailing company because the people that still had their boats still need to keep them clean. And subsequently, there was a, a big, major product in our industry that everybody used to wash their boat with. And it was a really great boat wash, but unfortunately, it was too good. It was a degreasing wash. As we know, all washes have different pH levels, which leads to different levels of degreasing. And what you want is a, was a balanced pH that doesn't strip the wax, um, but still is a, has the ability to clean. And that one product was a product called Orpine. And Orpine was actually originally developed to clean the locomotives in Philadelphia. So it was really a high degreasing wash, but leave it to marine marketing to put wash and wax on the label and sell it to everybody as a wash and wax. <laughs> so that, that particular client spent, you know, whether they spend twelve or $1,500 to have us come out and wax their boat. And three months later, they're like, oh, you waxed our boat, but the wax didn't last. And I'm like, well, what are you using to wash your boat? And they're like, Orpine. I said, you can't use Orpine because it strips the wax. I mean, our wax was good. So a lot of people don't think about the wash as much as they do the wax. But it's just like, you know, in the the car world, nobody washes their boat with Dawn or their car with Dawn because everybody knows it's a degreaser. So we have have the same thing. Um, So a lot of people pay attention to the wax, but the wax is only as good as what you wash it with. So at that time, they're like, well, what do we use? And I said, I don't know. Question real quick. And, sure. and maybe it won't matter with this product. I don't know. Um, are you familiar with the truck wash industry, and and do you know what kind of products they tend to use? I mean, most of the truck washes. I have are no so, idea. Okay, like Blue Beacon is. is I'm the sure. Big one I'm and, sure that most of it comes from, as most of the products do. There's the whole auto side of the of the protectant uh, market, because most of that stuff is all developed for clear coat, whether it's on uh, a truck, right, car, what have you. So. Usually it's a pretty mild soap that they use in car washes and, and stuff like that that has some sort of wax. And again, it's come a long way than from what it used to. So Got it. Yep. Um, but the difference, and I guess we can dive right into the quick little side of that, is clear coat on a, on a big rig or a car or anything else is very different than gel coat on a boat. So 
clear coat is a is a painted product. It might be Emron or or what have you, uh, depending on what the manufacturer is using. A boat is the surface is comprised of gel coat, which is basically hardened plastic. So it's just very different properties. We need to protect gel coat versus clear coat on a on a car or truck. Got it. So okay. that's that's what makes us a little bit different is that we formulated everything to work on on gel coat and painted fiberglass versus just taking something from the auto side of the market that was formulated for clear coat. Clear coat's relatively easy. It's really flat. It's really hard. Gel coat's very porous. If you look at it under a microscope, it has a lot of pores. Almost would look like pumice if you looked at it. Yeah. And it's plastic, so it's a lot harder. It's not as soft. Okay. Got it. So the original product was the wash. So we developed a wash that cleans well and doesn't strip the wax. So the old the old stick was you just paid a lot of money or you spent a lot of time to wax your boat. Don't wash off all that time or money using the you know, not a good product. So Got it. It's done quite well for us, just with the wash. Yep. Good. Good. And, and that concentration is what, one ounce to five gallons of water? Yeah, it's very concentrated. Um, one ounce to five gallons of water. It's it's high foaming, and um, we have to put extra polymer um, solids in it to make it work on the pores of the gel coat. So, when you actually do use it on a truck or a car, you can really see what it does because the clear coat really shows how much that polymer wax is in it. it really makes it pop. And and tell them what you called it. Yeah, so we do everything. Every all of my products have scents to them, and they have some fun names. So the the wash is is a purple product, and we call it Purplelicious Ultimate Boat Wash. Got it. And it smells like it smells like grape. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't be drinking it though. Yep. No, trust me. A lot of people say they want to drink it, yeah. and uh, I accidentally got some in my mouth one time, and it does not taste. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> not, and, and it has wax in it, so it's not yeah. really easy to get out of your mouth either. Yeah, don't be don't be <laughs> eating the crayons. Don't be drinking the wax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. yep. But subsequently after that, because I had access to the, these companies that, that manufacture this stuff, we worked on other products, and now we're up to, to six total products. We've got compounds and protectants and cleaner wax, so we've got six products now. Got it. So what's... Um, can you give us a rundown on kind of like the, the newest technology and protectants? I mean, what, what's, uh, what's the best stuff going today? So, and I, I do this with a lot of people, a lot of education on um, what a lot of people hear the buzzword, but they don't really understand what it is. Right. Um, or all the different nuances, we'll call it. But ceramics, I've, obviously, everybody's probably heard about them. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, they're good. But nobody knows the, the behind the scenes of what actually goes into a ceramic. So... All ceramics are based off of silica, SiO2. So you'll see SiO2 as a buzzword out in the marketplace. Um, the highest level, um, there is 10H out there, but 9H is what you're going to see for ceramics. And that's the hardness level that it's certified in the lab. And of course, this is way bigger on the, the auto side than it is the marine side, but it's big on both. So most 9H ceramics, whether it be in, in your world or, or the boat world, are supposed to be applied by a certified technician, meaning they've gone through training to learn how to do it. Um, what we see on our side of the industry, and I'm sure it happens in the auto world as well, that there's a lot of guys not doing it properly. So they'll ceramic coat a car or a boat, and they haven't done the, the exact steps necessary to really make it because people will claim it's a three to five year coating, but if it's not applied properly, then it might only last a half a year. So I tell people if they're going to get a nine H ceramic applied, just vet your installer and make sure that he's doing it correct and get some referrals. 
for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That being said, those ceramics fall down into like all different levels of the product. 9H being the highest, and then there's wipes, there's sprays, there's all kinds of stuff, which all are good for their certain applications. But SiO2 ceramic is the, uh, that's the latest and greatest besides there's graphene that's coming out as well. So. Got it. So, yeah, I spent some time a long, long time ago in the, the auto painting world, and I can tell you that any time technology like this came out and there was training, you were lucky if 20% of the people in the shop actually got the training. Everybody else just kind of yeah. did it and watched somebody else do it. And yeah, so there was an awful lot of that back then. I'm sure it hasn't changed. Exactly. You have a lot of, a lot of young guys getting into the business, which is good as we know that the labor force is tough and we want to see young guys getting into all of our businesses and the trades. Um, but they tend to take some shortcuts and don't do it quite properly. So you really want to make sure yeah. whoever you're, cause it's expensive, yeah. you know, hey. to have like, let's say that truck farm truck you're getting ready to buy. If you're going to have it ceramic coated, it's probably around two grand to have it done. Yeah. Well, I, I, I did a car, you know, I, like I said, I go way back to the, you know, buffing compounds and pink fill and glaze and all that stuff. And I needed to, yeah. I needed to take care of a car four years old, had never touched it. Um, as far as just got washed off once in a while and it was black. Uh, so I did the, the clay bar and the ceramic and I, I was blown away by the results. Um, it was a lot of work. Yeah, uh, when I first looked at it, I thought, well, this looks a whole lot easier than what we used to do. And it really isn't. I mean, it seems like it's just as much labor to do these products as it was back then, but the results were incredible. Yeah. If done properly, a nine inch ceramic is amazing, especially on clear coat on a car. Um, the tough thing about it, and then as you guys know, is when you go back in for a repair, because you guys know both sides of it, you know, somebody dings ceramic, it's not like you're removing wax. So you got to worry about your halos and everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. And on a, I want to surprise Go ahead, Bruce. I want to you to talk about this cleaner wax because you had mentioned something to me. I said, well, I don't really need a cleaner wax on the new paint. And you mentioned about the, when the water dries on the windshield. And so tell us about that. Cause I found that to be pretty fascinating. So what we get a lot in our business is, you know, everybody thinks their boat is really clean. And, um, uh, my recommendation. So this one product, we call it bubble gum. It's pink. It's a cleaner wax. It's got a, a light cut. It's about 3,500 um, cut. We equate everything to sandpaper grits yeah. with cut. Um, but it also has the polymer in it. And everybody knows that whatever market you're in, everybody loves the one step, right? So this cleans and protects. But we get a lot of people, like Bruce was saying, say, oh, my boat's really clean. All they need is, is a wax. But you should always clean any surface prior to waxing because that's supposed to be the final step. But when we talk about hard water stains, and especially in our business, you know, we're not waxing a car. I tell people we're like waxing buildings because they're big, so they're hard to. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. a lot of surface there. So, but people on on a white surface, it's hard to tell what deficiencies you have. You can like you can see hard water stains on glass. It's super easy. But the the good thing about the cleaner wax is it just it removes all those hard water stains and it what we call we look for a gel coat or paint pop. We want that deep, rich shine to yeah. it, right? So yeah. this this actually cleans and protects, but it'll make it pop. It looks beautiful. Like I don't know if anybody on here has ever heard of contender boats. They're a big center console manufacturer down in um yeah. Homestead, Florida. Mm-hmm. So we have an open PO with them. I just boxed up twenty four gallons. They finish every single brand new contender with that bubblegum product. Excellent. 
Excellent. Hey, Bruce, I want to go back to something he said there. I don't know if you caught it or not. When he was talking about the, the hardness level in that product, what was it in the product that created that hardness? Silica. Are you asking me what? That, the, yeah, sil- mm, yeah, silica. Guess what that is on an oil sample? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's the stuff we I, I we try to thought. keep out of our engines. We we check for that on oil samples. That's, we that's look right. for silica uh, because it's so destructive to the inside of the engine. It's sandpaper. Correct. Yeah. And this this is a different. This is a liquid version of it. But when it dries, it becomes super hard. Yeah. Interesting. So then, so after I used that cleaner wax, I put that polymer on and you've since updated because that one I have is really old. Um, yeah. But I was, I was shocked at the final result. So tell us so, about the polymer. After you do the cleaner wax and you do the polymer, how does that all work together? So if you're doing the, the two-step system like you're talking about, the, the same polymers in, in the cleaner wax that is in the final top coat. And when we talk about like a Top coats, they have no cut in them. So that's our final, our best protection. Um, and we, again, we have to put more solids in there of the polymer to make it work on gel coats. So that's why it works so good. It's, it costs more to do, but we, we also want to make sure we protect. But that polymer is just an, an advanced polymer that once it dries, it's it's rock solid. And again, it comes back to hardness levels. And um, yeah, it's just, we've, we've took a while. All these products took several tries to get them where they're at today. So in our R&D, we've created some products that just really do the trick. So I want to make sure. And let me ask you about polymer. Polymers. Lucas Oil, Forrest Lucas is a good friend of mine, and he has this polymer. And then when it comes into his place in the 55-gallon drums, you actually have to heat it. You hold it upside down over his mixing bats. And it's thicker than Cairo syrup. And Mm -hmm. that was his... In a lot of all of his products, he told me, and that's what sets his products above and beyond. Now, this is oil oil products. Is yeah. that a different polymer than what you're using, or is that's the name polymer yeah, like a, a generic name? Polymer is kind of just referencing synthetic more than anything else. But ours is um, a synthetic protectant. His is um, some sort of synthetic oil or something that that lubricates and, and doesn't break down. So the thing about a polymer, like a natural organic you know, oil breaks down over time. That's why everybody uses synthetics now. So uh, it's just, it, it's tougher, it's longer lasting. It's going to stand up to the elements better. And we're actually, we're actually working on now the next level of that, which we've gotten a couple samples and we're, we're just trying to work through the details on it. Our next, that white cloud, Bruce, as you know, it is going to turn again into a ceramic polymer hybrid. So we're actually going to, we're blending the SiO2 with the polymer to create it even, it'll better fill the pores because the silica is relatively hard, but it'll also be easier to work with and it'll create a, a great, just long-lasting protective. So the the gallon of white cloud that I just bought is uh, yeah. going to be, you're going to update that? We're, we're working on it. I don't have, I don't have a time when we're going to be done with it, but right now that, okay. that gallon that you just bought is like the best of the best. But we in owning a product line, I don't want to ever sit on what we have. I want to constantly create more and better stuff. 
Yeah, that's the diesel engine business is the same way. Once you think that uh, you don't have to improve any more, then you start downhill. Well, all businesses like that, yeah. right? Yeah. There's no it's such very, thing it, as staying level. Uh, you're either going up or you're going down. And if you're going down, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so you always have to keep developing. Hey, Bruce, not, if not you're not ju- growing, you're dying. Not, not just business either. I think all of us as humans, just in life. Just every day, yeah. you're either as a human, you're either growing or you're dying. There isn't much in between. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm I'm choosing to start a whole new farming career at sixty. <laughs> yes. Well, congratulations on that. I did that when I was a teen, and I don't really want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Hey, I want to make sure I'm hearing something right. You talked about the two different mm-hmm. paint systems, and the automotive is what I'm really familiar with. The base coat, clear coat. It sounds to me like what mm-hmm. you're saying is you can use products from the gel coat world in the base coat, clear coat world, and they're going to be even better, but you couldn't do, you wouldn't want to really do the other way. You wouldn't want to take the products from the base coat, clear coat, and try to use them on the gel coat. Am I hearing that right? Typically, they don't need to, per se, to, to make those products as good. They can get amazing results yeah. with what they do for, for clear coat on a car. Um, so in the marine world, we just have to put, we have to advance that, that same, sometimes the same formulation, but we have to put more of it in there Got it. to get the same results. Yeah, because everybody yeah, listening like, to us is so we, we deal in, we deal in two different worlds, though. We also have, we have gel coat that is predominantly the main part of the market, but all the custom boats are painted like a hatters right painted right um all the custom sport fish manufacturers they're all painted so but it's not they're not clear coat they're using a um it's a two-part paint but there's no clear on top of it got it so maybe you know this what about the rv world what are they doing the rv world and you know we've been dabbling our toe a little bit in the rv world but they generally except for the high-end ones they generally use clear coat but it's we've found out it is definitely not the same quality gel coat that we have uh, in the marine industry so so i've got a an 07 country coach which was higher end i think it's all paint but i'm not sure what system but whatever it is i gotta tell you i'm very impressed with it because here we are um what 16 years later now and i just had it detailed and i was blown away by how good it looks yeah, that's good then. It's probably paint and it's probably a, a high quality paint because there's a lot of RV manufacturers that are, are not using good materials and, and we hear about it all the time. Um, we're not, isn't, isn't gel coat used a lot in the RV world still? Yeah, yeah exactly. I that's what I'd so. say. But the gel yeah. coat, it's like anything. Gel, gel coat comes in different levels of right. quality. And right. they well, choose to use the lower quality I, gel I, coat. I, I was going to say that the quality of the gel coat in the RV industry is just awful. It's horrible. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's because if they use good stuff, it would just add to their bottom line. Yeah, well, exactly. And I'm sure there's it, some manufacturers that do use good gel coat, but most of them do not. Yeah. It's, um, you know, basically what, uh, what everybody wants out of an RV or the majority of that market, they want light and cheap. Uh, those are the two things they focus on when they build them, make them light, make them cheap. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes it makes them affordable for everybody so they can do their volume. I, mm-hmm. I completely understand. Yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, that's just what that market is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I want to say a little story here. Uh, last winter, I, I was in Punta Gorda, and I 
walked into West Marine, and there's a young lady there that was very helpful. And she helped me with some products. And as I was checking out, she told me that her boyfriend detailed boats. And I said, well, I have a small boat down here, and uh, I might I could use his help because I won't be here in the summertime. And his name's David Goodrich. And so David came over and I met him and I wanted him to use colonite. No, he didn't want to use colonite. He wanted to use this stuff called smooth. I said, wait a second. I met that guy three or four years ago. He's, he's not far from me in Maryland. In fact, I think he's uh, over and around at Kent Island or maybe on the Eastern shore. And uh, so this is how I went in this circle. Got it. So that guy right now is washing my boat in Florida with Bubblicious. There you go. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, and it's so, just, you know, it's kind of fun to say I'm going to go out and wash my boat with Bubblicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smells good. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it, you know, the funny thing is, we, as I mentioned, we have a lot of scents. And, uh, and a lot of our big majority of our market is guys that fish offshore. And, you know, you talk about boat shows, you'll get these guys and they're all telling their buddy, like, open up the cap and smell it. And I'm sitting there making fun of them going, you know, you guys are out there killing tuna fish and marlin. You think you're big, tough guys and you're, you're sitting around a boat show's place selling, smelling soap like it's a Yankee candle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love it. So uh, t- talk about the uh, sense that uh, you say Disney World and other places put into the air. Yeah, so it's called scent marketing. It's it's a, it's a thing that most people might not realize that exists. But if you check into a, a high-end hotel, let's say the Ritz, or you ever walked into a Nordstrom, all these places are pumping scents in the air to give you an olfactory um, connection with that location or that product. Um, Disney World does it. Like You don't really smell those chocolate chip cookies baking, but they're pumping that smell out, so you go into their bakery and you buy their chocolate chip cookies. Um, you know what's and, interesting and again, most, about this? Uh, my, this is so weird hmm. that you brought this up. I just saw a commercial on TV the other day, and at first I'm like, what am I watching? I wasn't even sure what the commercial was for. It turns out that there is a company now, and I think the name, the website might be hotelsense.com. They make a really high-end right. system now that you put in your house and you can even connect it to your AC system and your heat system, so it, it distributes it all through the the uh, the ductwork, and you duct can work, now right? you can go buy these signature scents. Like if you want the the scent that they use at the Ritz Paris, you can buy those signature scents now, and you can do this in your own house. So they're basically taking a commercial platform and now turn it into residential. Yeah. So the commercial platform has been there forever. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now there's a company that, and, and they're heavily promoting this and it, it looks really high end. I mean, the commercials are high end and I don't know what the cost of this thing is, but uh, I just saw that. How weird. I wonder what right back we to could what use. We do. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. I wonder what we could use here at the diesel shop. <laughs> I, I like vanilla and cinnamon. <laughs> there one you the, go. One of the main reasons we did it is because you know who wants to smell chemicals while they're waxing their boat? Yeah, right? exactly. So that stuff all smelled off. You're doing the job. It might as well smell like something you know something right. beneficial. If you walk if, through um, an Annapolis boatyard in the spring, all you smell is our bubble gum. You smell it everywhere because every detailer in Maryland, most of them are using it, and that's all you smell is just 
pink it, bubble gum smell. It seems like I remember that the pink fill and glaze didn't have a bad smell. It was it was better than most. Somebody told you know, me when I, oh, yeah. yeah. When I was a judge for International Show Car Association in the early seventies and we worked the ride and custom car shows and mainly in Coba Hall, Detroit. People would take the bottle of fill and glaze and they would put masking tape around it. So nobody knew what they were using. <laughs> but everybody was using it. <laughs> and I'd it. walk up and say, you know, being an ex-body guy, right. I, in fact, I was still a body man at the time, I'd say, you don't really have to hide it. We know we, it's we, fill and glaze. We know what it is. Everybody's using it. Hey, Bruce, I, I was just thinking, you know, I, I have truck drivers, you know, we, we, uh, we have truck drivers making yogurt and fermenting vegetables and meditating. So I don't know why you can't have them sitting around the shop talking about what scents they like the best. There you go. You know, my dad had bought a 71 Corvette coupe and it was bronze hatch green. And we brought it home and put it in our garage and the fluorescent lights and it did not look very good. In fact, I, we were pretty upset. So I said, well, let's try the fill and glaze. And one layer we went east and west and the next layer north and south. And we buffed that off. And my God, was that a beautiful color. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just don't know. There you go. So anything else you want to say, Jeff, about the products? Hey, I have something. No, I think where, we covered. Well, we covered. The, the most important part, where can you get them? Um, you can get them from our website, which is smoothwax.com, and that's smooth with a V. Um, but the easiest place to get them is Amazon. Uh, you can get everything on Amazon, and it's all prime, so you get the free two-day shipping, um, at least in all the quart sizes, gallon sizes you'd have to get from our website. Got it. And I just to make sure everybody it's understands, my- it's S-M-O-O-V, like Victor E. That's correct. There you yep. go. Good. Smooth and we're going to we're going to carry it if 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 uh, several owner operators and Jr. Hillhouse is going to be the first if he if he loves it because his truck is always immaculate we're going to become a dealer here so we'll have it here there you go all right Fantastic. good stuff all right Jeff well thanks for uh, educating us today oh thank you for your time Much all right appreciated. we will talk right, to you guys. again soon take care Jeff. All right, let's get to some phone calls. Let's, uh, phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. We'll hang out as long as you've got calls or uh, about another two hours, I guess. Let's go to Kentucky. Austin, welcome. Austin, anybody there? Hmm. Austin, I'm going to put Austin back in the queue. Uh, Angie, could you check on... Oh, no, maybe Brittany's screening today. Who's screening? I think Brittany is. Um, let's try Nick in Arizona. Oh, I think I have all the buttons pressed right on my end. Nick, are you hey there? there? There we go. I am. <laughs> all right, glad you guys are talking about paint and body today. Uh, I got a question for you. How the heck do you get overspray off of a windshield? I've uh, I've tried clay bar, tried uh, uh, acetone, can't get that stuff off. It's, okay, and- here's... What um, what was the overspray from? What was somebody was painting on that car itself and got overspray on the window, or were they painting something else? I honestly don't know. Uh, I may have been 
doing a little rattle canning, like back on the frame or something, and it so, went all the way up there. I don't know. So here's or, why or it, it could have been somebody prior to me. Huh? Here's why it helps to know. Okay. You're just going to have to try a little experimentation. Anytime you're trying to get paint off of something you don't want it on, go back to the original thinner for that paint. So whatever you would use to, so if it's an enamel, if it's a lacquer, if it's a, you know, polyurethane, you, you figure out whatever paint it was and then use that thinner. Usually takes it right off. But if, yeah, but if, you're, like, if you've reducer. got a mixed, if you're using like a, a, an enamel thinner on a lacquer paint, it won't touch it. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so I don't know. So I just have to try try everything until I now get the, off, I guess. Sometimes. And then the other way you could do it if you wanted, um, with an <laughs> orbital sander and a really light polishing compound will do it, too. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I, uh, I Kevin. Go ahead. Okay. Kevin, you taught me something there. So if you sprayed with lacquer, you would use lacquer thinner. If you yes. sprayed with enamel, you use enamel reducer. That's yep. interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm learning learning several things today from Jeff, and now I learned that from you. And Wow. Now, I like now, those now Bruce, there's, there's another issue here, though, and you'll understand this, because if we're just dealing with nice, straightforward, you know, lacquers, enamels, that's really simple start to get into polyurethanes and and some of our paint has a catalyst doesn't it It, on some paint don't we have to mix in something right before we spray and that's a catalyst hardener yeah so if you've got a hardener you're usually out of luck you may not find any chemicals that can attack that you may have to use mechanical like razors and polishing compounds because once that catalyst action happens you can't undo that. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, okay. Next question is for Bruce. Uh, I've got a uh, 992WS. Um, it's a cat reman. It's got about 88,000 miles on it. Um, I bought your Pittsburgh Power catch can, and I'm still getting a little couple, you get a little bit of oil on my rear fenders when, when my right foot gets excited. And uh, wondering um, if there's anything else I can do about that. How many pounds of turbo boost are you making on a hard pull? Well, that's another question I got for you. This is in a Peterbilt 389. And uh, the gauge, only I can only ever get it up to about 24 pounds on, on the gauge. But I've talked to other folks that have the same truck with the same motor. And it seems like there's something going on. Um, relaying the boost to the gauge and, and everybody else has the same problem or some other people have the same problem. I guess it's supposed to be like 32 or so, correct? Or about 552? Well, well, do you have someone's tune in this? No, it's factory. It's, it's factory. Cat 550 tune. Yep. Okay. All right. So cat 550s normally have the wastegate set at 28 pound of boost, which is not enough. They should be set at 32 pounds. And so I'm going to assume you're going to make between 28 and 32. And Leroy, uh, tell them what we have to do to fix that boost issue. Mm, What do you mean exactly? Well, he's not getting the correct reading uh, from his gauge. This would have been a glider kit. So it's a 389, so it would be J1939. But he's got the uh, 2WS CAD in it. 
Yeah, so if it has 1708 gauges, then it's only got to go to 32. Um, depending on what boost sensor you have in it, you should be able to get up towards 40, 42 on a CAT engine. So if you have a 1939 so, so, gauge, there. This, this, I would this, test this it with a mechanical gauge. Put a mechanical gauge and see what you're actually getting to see if maybe yeah. you have a problem with the turbo or the wastegate um, and you're actually only making 24 pounds of boost. Uh, the mechanical gauge would let us know that. And then would know what yeah. direction to go to. Right. I, I, I want to say I read some folks have, like I said, having the same problem. And they had uh, had a computer plugged into the truck, and the computer was reading a 32 pound. But the gauge would only read a 24. So I, I, I don't know what it's actually producing. And I, I need to I need to look into that. But uh, assuming uh, that, that I'm having the same problem that everybody else is, I'm actually getting 32 pounds. What's your, what's your thoughts on the uh, catch can situation? Okay. So back to I'm trying to figure out if you've got the stock waste gated turbo, uh, why you have the oil trap and you're still getting, you're not trapping all the oil, you're getting some blow by out. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, and I, Are you I have any say, oil consumption at all? Uh, probably in 10,000 miles, half a gallon. Okay. And that's not bad. That's good. Uh, if you pull a hill and you come to a, and you're into the throttle and you come to a traffic light and you have to stop, can you see blow by coming out from under the truck? No, nope. I've never seen any blow by. Hmm. Uh, but now, and, and I will say, I think the previous owner, I bought the truck with 17,000 miles on it. The previous owner told me he would crank the truck when it's cold and go to the dang AW and get his lunch for the day. And I, I don't know if he was smart enough to turn the idle up on it or not. I, I don't think so. So I'm, I'm worried that the cylinders kind of got glazed a little bit. I don't know if that would be part of my problem or not. Well, a half a gallon in 10,000, I don't think you have a problem there. Right. Um, yeah. Interesting. Well, I no, tell you, we've not, been. I mean, go ahead. That oil trap, we've had those. Uh, I mean, it was invented by an owner operator, and we've had that, and we've had them re do some refinements to it, and we do the welding. You're the first person that said that. And how many years has it been, Pete? Oh, 2022. We've had that. Yeah catch in for a long time now you know one thing with, with blow by we will see trucks that what looks like excessive blow by and and not have consumption i mean sometimes a truck just has a little more blow by than what we like to right. see and it just not, might not be able to catch it all you know you the don't caterpillar the cat has the largest breathing tube of all the engines and real Real quick story, I'd put uh, back before Cummins had the B-Series, I'd put an Isuzu in a Chevy Suburban in around 1985, and I turboed it, and it had a huge breather tube on it. It was almost a, and it was a 5.9-liter engine, but it was almost the same size as what's on the Caterpillar. And I'd come to a traffic light, especially pulling a trailer, and white smoke would pour out from under the hood. And people in cars beside me would just look at me. But yet the thing didn't use any engine. So I don't necessarily go by blow-by. I go more by oil consumption after that experience. And then when we were building the seven and 800-horsepower big cams, Mark Chappell, the Cummins engineer, called me one day and said, you should have 
three breathers on that engine, one on each valve cover instead of just one. And even if you took those three on the big cam, it still wouldn't equal the flow of the 3406 uh a, B, C, and E engines, and the right. C-15s. So, um, oh, and then go to a, 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 a tractor pulling contest and see where they take these four and 500 cubic inch farm tractors and they're making 275 pound of boost. And my God, when that front wheels of that farm tractor's in the air, there's almost as much smoke coming out the bottom as they're going out the top. <laughs> So for sure. the blow-by has to go somewhere, but why isn't the catch can catching at all? don't know. I can't answer that one. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it would be worth trying I, to put two of those on there, two of the oil traps. Well, I had, I had two ideas. One would be to uh, take that uh, the, the top tube that does the horseshoe back out the atmosphere and um, put like a paper element on there. Or take that take that tube off, run it, run a tube vertical all the way up to the top of the valve cover, and then come back down. That way, any oil that was kind of coming up that tube might drain back down into the catch can, if that makes sense. Oh. Other than that short little horseshoe shaped tube. Yeah, that kind of makes there's, sense. There's a company called Motion Raceworks. They make a catch can for race cars. And on their ad, they show uh, a piece of like uh, half inch clear tube full of oil, and they take an air gun and blow that oil into their catch can. Kind of it comes out. Seems I don't I don't know the, the uh, you know the design of the thing, but looks looks pretty promising. I, I, I might throw that in series with uh, with your catch can. It, it's definitely doing the job because um, you know your oil change. I get probably six or eight ounces of oil out of it. So. Whenever, how often are you doing a 15,000 mile change? Yeah, you guys listen to your show. I feel kind of stupid because there, there's sometimes I'll change it at 10,000 miles. Um, it's okay. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. J.R. Hillhouse. It's definitely. We have his cat, and it, it was an ACERT, and it's got 1.3 million on it now, and he does a 10,000 mile oil change. I try to get him to extend it. His. Um, his iron is down around three every 10,000 right. miles, all zeros on just about everything else. And uh, he, he has to send me a copy, and then I have to call him, and then he likes to chuckle about it. But uh, he won't change because the, the engine's still perfect. And Mike Lane, uh, I was talking to Mike this morning, he's at 1.2 million on his D-Deck 5 and his Western Star, and we're at either 720 or 740 horsepower, and he has no oil consumption, and I think he does a 15,000 mile change. Um, so it's not, it's, it's not overly concerning. Uh, like I said, it only happens when I get, get excited and, and, and really lay with it. But, uh, obviously I don't, I mean, I don't do that often, but, uh, um, so the thing's still, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, you know, what else my thought is, uh, let's do the manifold and turbo and go to the 145 turbine housing and put a program in it and that'll let it breathe better. And I'll bet that clears a lot of that up. Those wastegated turbos, those wastegated turbos are extremely restrictive and it keeps a lot of back pressure in the engine. I got you. Yeah, I got you. So that alleviates on the crankcase pressure, you think? Yes, a lot of it. 
Yeah. Um, the, the, so I'd, I'd, I'd love to have you tune and do a bunch of things, but it's, it's uh, factory cat remand and it's under warranty for a good little ways yet. Um, so I'm scared to do anything. I'm, well, let me, let me address that. Let me address that. Okay. If a mechanic that builds an engine lets something loose, it'll make it about three and a half miles. So you're well past that. And we know that right. from experience, okay? I learned the hard way on that one. <laughs> and, that, and that was just on setting an overhead on a big cam. And, uh, and I usually go over those nuts about three times, but I don't know how this one came loose. But three and a half miles, if, if you put a camshaft in and you don't set the end plate properly, it usually won't get out of your parking lot. Um, main bearing caps, rod caps, three and a half miles. So you're probably not going to have a problem if you had a catastrophic problem. Put the stock manifold and turbo back on. We put the stock program back in and and uh, take it in. But chances are, you know, the whenever an engine is allowed to run free and it runs great, they live longer, they get better fuel mileage, and they're certainly a whole lot more fun to drive. And Stock engines seem to have more failures than performance engines. Now, I'm not right. talking about performance engine with the driver, a performance engine with the owner. Right. Yep. Understood. Um, I, I just know, I mean, if you do a tune, and I do have a warranty claim, they'll be able to tell it's been changed, correct? Not necessarily. Leroy? Uh, they'll be able to tell that something, that the ECM was flashed at a certain date. Um, so if you originally had a flash at the dealer and then like six months later you had it flash somewhere else, they'd be like, oh, I see it's flashed at six months ago. Where did you have that done? So they could ask questions there. And it's also associated with a caddy T tool number. And if it wasn't the tool number that the dealer, um, dealer, they could just, you know, deny warranty right there. But most of the time the dealers don't usually pick on it that hard. So. You well, it is a risk. Yeah. Well, and, and another another little bit of information on this engine, um, probably I don't know, fifty thousand miles ago or so, the freaking uh, oil filter nipple broke off of the housing going down the road. So I lost my filter and uh, had to get it towed to Cat. Took it took out the turbo and um, put new mains, new mains and rods in it. And a uh, new turbo. So, of course, I'm leery that there's something they may have missed when that all happened. Just, I don't know. I mean, obviously it runs good and doesn't use a whole lot of oil, but uh, I don't know if it took out the rods and mains, if, if maybe the cam bearings uh, might see some trouble down the road. I, I don't know. So I'm just leery to do a whole lot to the thing. So let, let me ask you, you, your full flow filter fell off. Did you know when it fell off? Uh, not immediately. I was trucking down the road at 70 mile an hour and radio playing. And, and then I hear the buzzer and I'm like, what the heck? I look down and I see the old gate zero. And, um, so I, 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 yeah. So I kicked it off and, uh, turned off the key. I'm like, well, that ain't doing any good because the motor's still turning. So I flapped it out of gear and, and coasted to a stop. Um, the cat, I don't get it, but the cat, uh, when they pulled the, pulled the information off the ECU, they said it ran with no oil pressure. 32 seconds, which I find very hard to believe because uh, 32 seconds is a long time, um, and I don't 
I don't know how it possibly could have recorded that much time as quickly as I noticed it, unless unless maybe just the key was on, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Angels, you know, uh, uh, Kevin, you've seen those tests where they'll take that little, was it Briggs and Stratton, and they'll drain all the oil out of it, and they'll sit there and run for quite some time. Yeah, and hey, uh, Bruce, I had a guy that... Bruce, Yeah. do you, do you know the trick behind that? What? The reason it was always a Briggs and Stratton. Somebody told me it that doesn't drain it, all its oil. Yeah, somebody told me that that engine leaves just enough oil in there that you could dump any product in there and say, "See, look, it runs without oil." All right. Well, I had a guy who doesn't live far from here. He had a big cam in a cab over Kenworth, and he blew the oil pan off of it. And when he got it towed home, there was a ramp going up into his barn, and he started it with no oil pan on it and drove it up into the barn. And, um, wow. Pete, that was one of the Kellys. And mm-hmm. I went up, and we pulled down the mains and rods, and they were okay. You know, of the 30 seconds, I mean, if you had the truck, you know, shut itself down, and you were basically toasting in gear and the engine's turning over, and that's going to count for time that you ran it without oil, without under load. The problem becomes when you're under load and you lose oil pressure. Uh, I think maybe well, you're saving grace. Yeah. You, you weren't under load, and that's why you got away with it. Yeah, actually, I was going downhill. Um, I went back and, and found the filter. It was about, oh, about a mile back or so. And it was all downhill from where I stopped. So that's that plus. But it did, according to the... According to the guys at the, uh, the, the Peterbilt dealership there that did the work, it, it did take out the bearings. And the did you walk down, back? It was did up. you walk back that mile to find that filter? I had a bicycle with me to rode it back. Yeah. Oh, good for you. And uh, everyone should have a bicycle. <clears throat> but uh, with uh, the I, filter, I did you run over the filter? Uh, no. So it still had the nipple it, in it. It had the nipple in the filter, and you could see. There was some sort of thread locking compound on it, and you could tell that uh, it was only in that filter housing about two threads, and that's that's what happened. It broke the thread, those two threads off, and uh, went for a ride. Wow. So, yeah. Well, but, uh, you were lucky. I know some people people that that had their oil changed, and uh, and this is back in the big cam days, and the filter came off. I forget how many thousand miles later, and they lost the engine, and they ended up becoming company drivers because the people that changed the oil said uh, they didn't accept blame for it. And my brother on his 444 had one come loose. I'm trying to think of the truck stop that changed his oil because we normally always did it, but he was out on the road and had it done, and we had to put rod and main bearings in, and they paid for it. Right. So. Yeah, my first thought was that it was whoever changed oil last. Um, but then I got to looking at it. I'm like, no, it's not their fault. It's Cat's fault. The thing broke off in the, right. in the housing. And it had thread locker. It's not like, it's not like somebody pulled the nipple out, put it back in, didn't put it back in far enough. It, 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 uh, it was locked in there, but not locked in good enough. So my advice is everybody that pays to have their oil changed, you should carry a wrench and check your drain plug before you leave their parking lot and you should also have one of those strap type oil and fuel filter wrenches and you should just check the tightness on that 
<laughs> my problem with having somebody else change it is usually they tighten shit up too much. You can't get the damn oil filters off. And that's the time true, too. Somebody else do it. <laughs> that is that's true. why I started doing it myself. By the way, when you go to take an oil filter off or fuel filter, the <clears throat> rubber has memory, and it takes a seat, and you have to put pressure on it and hold it and till that rubber forgets its seat and then it comes loose. Sometimes you might have to hold pressure on it for a minute and you just keep putting pressure, but don't try to just snap it loose because the rubber has taken a seat. Jar lids can be the same way. Right. What's, what's your guys' opinion on uh, sampling the oil uh, if the engine's under warranty? Uh, Oh, I, would, I would sample it all the time because you want to right. catch a problem before it happens, especially ingested dirt or if you're getting a buildup of aluminum or copper or anything and you want to be able to take it to the dealer and show them. And if you, if you have two in a row that are high on a wear item, I would take it to the dealer that I do business with or the mechanic and have them see so they can see that, hey, there is a problem that's brewing here, and let's let's look at this each sample. Okay. All right. Very good. We'll, we'll do. So, well, I think that's what, about it for me. Do you, do you have the OPS on there? I do not, no. And the OPS is a great item to not only extend your drain, but to keep everything clean inside. And um, if you're running the catalyst along with the OPS and you have nice clean air filters and you're keeping the wear particles out, that uh, blow-by will decrease along with the manifold right. and turbo. So those, those four items right there, five items, will help decrease blow-by. The proper size right. turbo, the exhaust manifold that flows, the OPS to keep the oil clean, the catalyst to keep the soot and carbon out of the uh, combustion chamber, and the tune to allow the engine to run free. I just started using your catalyst. This is the first tank uh, that, that's going through it right now, so pretty excited to see what, what I see out of that. Yeah, um, let me ask you this, too. You know, California, does your, does your uh, catalyst – I'm just really – about what California's got going on over there with their new new uh, emission standards here. They're not new, but the enforcement of coming up next year. Um, does your catalyst, do you think a truck would pass the emissions just using the catalyst or no? Does it help? Uh, we have several people, and I think their testimonials probably on our website that, yes, the catalyst got their truck through some smoke checks and emission testing, and they were non-emission engines like yours. Right, and also, you know, our catalyst does have an EPA number, so it's all been tested. Right, you know, I was thinking, I, 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 your product sounds pretty amazing. You think uh, the EPA and all these environmentalists are the way they are that they would mandate that fuel companies start using your catalyst or something similar in the fuel to, to help the environment out? But it all boils down to uh, more fuel usage is more money. It's just a political rigmarole, really. Well, the, uh, it's been said for years that the U.S. government cannot exist without fuel tax. Right. <laughs> so the more that they're getting and, and uses, the more money they're getting. I know Biden says he wants all electric cars, but then they want to keep spending and giving money away. And I guess they'll just have to raise the tax on electricity, maybe, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
All right, got to come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, I've got a bunch of health questions, but we'll do that maybe on one of the spaces or, or, or another time. So yeah, tomorrow. Uh, I appreciate good. you guys getting me in today. All right. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the call. All right, guys, thank you. Let's go to. Uh, let's see if we have Austin now. Austin, are you with us? Yeah. Can you hear me now? There you are. Go ahead. Uh, I just had on last year on my six and Z cat, and over the weekend I'm creating pressure in the radiator again. Any idea what it could be? What was your liner protrusion? Uh, they were all point zero zero five. Number six was point zero zero four five. That's not bad. Hmm. Pete, do you have any thoughts on that one? I put it oh, the air compressor. Have you checked the air compressor? I unplugged the air compressor, took both lines off of it, and it's still making pressure, putting bubbles okay. in there. Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's a valid it, test. It, it, can never, it can never be the uh, air compressor, right? Very rarely, unfortunately, because that's always the, the <laughs> easy, expensive fix. So, yeah, it's seldom that. So, so you yeah. said an aftermarket head. Whose head was it? Uh, Republic Diesel's where I got it in Louisville. I'm not I'm not for sure on the brand of head it was. I heard there was somebody out there making them, but I'm I haven't seen one yet. The guy I had I think, on, he put he put quite a few of them on. Never had any problems with it. It's got a two year warranty. Pulling yeah. the liner create pressure. If the liner protrusion's not high enough, you can get the, uh, it can blow back into the crankcase. So if you have a pinhole in the liner, generally will leak coolant into the oil as well, but there are a rare occasion, and this is an issue we haven't seen in years. With the modern antifreezes, we don't see the cavitation that we used to see, but I've had trucks in the past that will pressurize the radiator through the liner because you have a either a pinhole or a crack, but it doesn't, it's not big enough to leak coolant into the liner, but the pressure, which of course is very high, will push combustion back into the cooling system, which will then pressurize the radiator. So that is a possibility, but something we just don't see anymore. So on the cylinder head, so when we do, we use cat remand, but we, um, Opt up for the new casting. So when you buy a cat head, you can buy a new casting. Now it's a reman head. They want the old one back. It's got you know reman used valves and springs, whatever they're able to reuse. But the casting is the part that goes bad anyhow. You know that's where they right. develop cracks, and sometimes they don't always show up during testing. You know, don't bench test them at you know 100 pounds, 150 pounds of air pressure, ambient temperature, 200 degrees going down the road, you're way hotter than that. Much more pressures. You've got vibrations going on. So there could have just been a defective head. It's, it's definitely possible. Okay. I've drove this truck. I mean, I've drove it since new and since it's been overhauled, it's never got old. It gets about a little thousand fifty if you lug it down going up the hill on a barometer, but it never gets over 210 on the water temperature. Mm-hmm. And that cavitation is used for untreated antifreeze. It's always had final charge in it, or Caterpillar. I've changed it once. I switched it to Caterpillar. When it was overhauled, we had final charge in it, and then I put Caterpillar in it about a year or two ago. You're not push. Are you pushing colon out the red? 
It's not pushing coolant out of the radiator yet, but it's just building pressure in the radiator. With the bottle test, you're getting bubbles in your bottle. <clears throat> Something's just started. Apart and get the head started. Yes, it just started. Wow. I got it's got somebody's tune on it. Not if it's not our tune, you better get to one of our remote tuners and let's look and see if they didn't drastically advance your timing. Can can I do that when I got the head off? Can you take the ECM off and take it to your remote tuner to save me some downtime? Um, on a cat engine, you're going to have to send that to us if you want to investigate what was in it. We're not going to be able to see what's in it uh, at a remote dealer. Yeah. They need the data port under the dash to plug into. That's what you'd have to have for that, huh? Yeah. Okay. So if you if you stop by one of our remote tune locations, they can plug into it and, and call us, and we can look and see. What Do you have a 132 or a 145 housing, or do you have the stock waste-gated turbo? I got the 145. You're, you sent me both of them, and I tried both of them, the 132 and the 145, and I like the 145 better. Okay. That's good. And then I got your manifold. You guys are full tilt manifold. Okay. So we don't have a buildup of pressure inside then unless somebody has drastically advanced the timing. So just stop by one of the remote tune locations and let's let Leroy look at it. Okay. And then I'll probably just have you guys retune it then too. Okay. Um. When ordering that, that radiator for the W900, I guess just call you guys and you'll know everything you need. If this is a glider truck. They should know everything yeah. I need to get the right radiator in. And give us a, if you can get the part number off the rad you have, that would help. Okay. Okay. All right. That should beat everything. Fantastic. All right. Thanks for the call. Have a Let's, good day. We've got, uh, we've got lines open. We'll hang out here if you've got questions. Dial us up, 855. Go ahead, Bruce. The owner-operator snowmobile conference. We started making plans this morning. Actually, we started making them at the end of the last year, but uh, we're going to go to Grand Lake, Colorado, the snowmobile capital of Colorado, and we'll be staying at the Gateway Lodge, and I'll have more information, but it's going to be February 28th to March 2nd. And... Somebody that's never snowmobiled, this is a great place because there's a town, there's shopping, there's restaurants. They do not plow the streets. They let the snow on the streets. And snowmobiles are welcome to run up and down the, the main street and or the side streets. And the uh, lodge is right at the beginning of town. And you ride right to the trail so we don't have to trailer. And they have lots of groomed trails. They probably have the best groomed trails in all of the state. And plus, we have off-trail riding. Bruce, is that um, is Grand Lake just west of the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park? Yes, that is a beautiful. But you can't come place. over that road. Now, yeah, the Estes Park. You cannot come over because it's closed in the winter time. So right? you have to come. Right. Right, you have to come from either the Kremlin, Colorado side, or if you're coming out of Denver, you go east on 70 and get off and go west on 70. Uh, up over Burkett Pass. East or west from Denver? 
I'm sorry, west of yeah. Denver. If you're leaving Denver, you come west. Yeah. And you go up over Berthet Pass. If you're coming from the west, yeah, uh, got you it. then would come to Silverthorne and go north on 9 and into Kremlin and then go east on 40. That is a beautiful little town there on the lake. It is. Yes. It's a wonderful town. Yeah. It's. I think it's the highest elevation lake in the U.S., and it's the beginning of the Colorado River. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Interesting. Uh, let's grab some calls because they're starting to pile up on us now. Let's go to Alberta. Ben, welcome. Good morning, guys. What's on your mind today? Uh, it seems like I'm always coming back to you guys for questions. I appreciate your help. <laughs> You're welcome. So this question is probably for Leroy. Uh, an engine oil pressure light is on. Is it supposed to be on when you turn on the key without the engine running? Uh, I've seen cabs like that, yeah, where you just turn the key on, engine not running, and the light comes on. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay. Well, it's never been on, but now it's always on, even like when the engine is running. So I'm wondering where would the engine oil pressure switch be at on a 3406B? On a B? Yeah, a B. Yeah, somewhere in the oil rifle, but not sure where. That's, that's before E, I don't know. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that's not a Leroy question. That's a mechanical question. That's more Pete and I. Uh, look on your main oil rifle, and it, it, there's usually one on both sides of the engine, and you should see a wire going on to, uh, how would you describe that? So, would it be a single wire, Bruce? Single wire because the switch is probably ground. Okay. Now, is your oil pressure gauge, is it mechanical and is it showing you have oil pressure? Yes, lots of, yeah. lots of oil pressure. Yeah. You don't oil have a problem. Just, just replace that sensor. But there's so many sensors on a B model, well, three of them, I should say. And what are the sensors up front to the right? There's a sensor with three wires, and then there's another one with two wires. Those are not the ones. Uh, I'm going to have to tell you this. Uh, Back when that engine was being made, we were so busy with big cams that we weren't working on them. um, So I cannot answer that question. I know who could answer that, and if you call me after the show, I'll give you his phone number. Okay, sure. And I probably okay. have more questions for you. Like, uh, and another problem with that with that truck and engine is so when you're pulling a load at first, when the coolant, when the water temperature goes up to say 180, even even when you're sitting and idling, uh, the water temperature tends to go up to 210 to turn on the fan. And I'm wondering if if that's normal. Like, no, that's not normal. You need to radiator put a pressure. Uh, it sounds like you either need a radiator or you got to check the water pump pressure. So, Pete, what kind of gauge? Do we use like an oil pressure gauge whenever we check water pump pressure? Yep, that's all we use. I don't know what a cat was supposed to have. I know what the NTCs and 14s had, which is only 35 to 40 PSI, but no idea what a cat... Water I think it's push. around the same. 
So you you find your water galley area, especially on the right rear of the block, back by the block heater, and take one of those plugs out. Uh, plumb in an oil pressure gauge and take it up to 15, 1600 RPM and look at your pressure. Look at your pressure at an idle. Look at your pressure uh, at high RPM. You okay. should be in that 30, 35 range. Uh, is the radiator, you're way up north, is the radiator all corroded? How old is the rad? The rad is as old as the truck, I believe. So I'm wondering oh, if well. they do wear out. Oh, you, you better call us with the part number. Uh, what kind of truck's that in? Uh, it's a 1989 uh, International. Uh, okay. call, call International and get the uh, part number of the radiator and give us a call. 1989. So I have yeah, it's an old one. As old as I am. But anyways, uh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not very old. <laughs> um but anyways, I did call Eric with the part number, and he said you guys do not have a red for that truck. So all right, I guess well, I'm wondering then, if, like, I've heard you guys talk about adding a, a auxiliary coolant no, tank, and I'm wondering if I, you would help me out where to put it and where. Oh no, wait, wait! It. The auxiliary the auxiliary coolant tank is an addition to a good radiator. It's it's not a Band-Aid. So it's, we do not want to overlook the fact that maybe there's a problem in the water pump, the thermostat, or the radiator. So you have to check those three things first. If we don't have the RAD and can't get the RAD, you better call International and see what they say. If not, call me, and I think I might know some people that can still hand fabricate you a radiator. Okay, maybe I'll do that after after the Fact, show. I think I know two people that can do that now. So you're talking uh, make a rad from scratch with as many tubes as the ones that you sell? Yes. Okay. In fact, uh -huh. I'm going to go cool. see this one guy in about two and a half weeks. I'm going to go visit with him. Okay. So on, right. that oil, on that oil pressure sensor... It's a single wire. Look for a sensor with a single wire, and uh, it's usually on the left side of the engine. No, I don't know where it is on that. You call me after the show, and I'll tell you who to call. It could probably answer that for you because he was a four-and-a-quarter B expert. He was the number one service manager for MHC Kenworth and then went on to rush Peterbilt. Okay. But, uh, uh, Sounds like a winner, bro. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a cell phone, all right? Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Illinois this time. Sam, welcome to the program. Hello. Yeah. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. I didn't. I didn't hear you introduce me. Um, I've got a uh, a coolant question. I I lost a uh, a heater core and I lost a couple gallons. I had the red long life in there and I I had to put a couple of makeup gallons of regular water in. Do you, do you think that needs to be changed or is that okay to run a couple of gallons of water in your radiator? Change it. Change it out? Yeah, change it out. It's, especially with winter coming, you're going to lose the ability to keep from the, the coolant from freezing, things freezing up. As you add that, water to that, you lose it down. Yeah, because that was 50-50 diluted, long life, so adding a couple of gallons probably dilutes it too much, huh? 
Yes. And where'd you get the water? Uh, it was just what I had on hand. I, I got caught without any good water. Yeah, so it's hard water. Now, just change it. Yeah. It's it's right, not worth losing a liner over. You know, take take advantage of that flushed radiator. I mean, you have to drain it anyhow. We're coming up into, you know, winter. Uh, get a good flush treatment, flush the radiator, uh, rinse it out good, and then, you know, fresh antifreeze, and, and you'll be set then. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off. To, hey, Kevin. Go ahead. This, is, this shows like sh- shows of years gone by when we get all these good questions, huh? I know. I know it is. Yeah. I think we've got some more what too. I, what I think, I think people are finding about finding out about your um, your app. Yes. Because I think it's growing, which is a good thing. We need mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yep. Yes. All right. Let's go to Missouri. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. What's Kevin, on your mind I have, today? I have a question about your, about your chickens. Well, uh, you need to hire somebody for something else, too. Uh, what's that? You need to hire somebody to milk the chickens, because who's going to milk the chickens if you're not there? Oh, I didn't think about that. See? <laughs> I, I, you know, it's why Lisa calls me trouble. So, anyway. <laughs> so, there you go. I, I got a question. I got a question for Bruce. And, and hey, don't you also have to pluck those chickens and get the winter feathers out when summer comes, and so they can have their I, summer it's feathers? Like Aaron, yeah, it's just like Aaron tires, Bruce. There was a video on social media where a lady called her husband and said, honey, I got the tire picks, but they, they made me a special. They, they sold me premium air for only $150. <laughs> Her husband came unglued. Oh, <laughs> so, well, anyway. I it, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, Bruce, on my 660. Oh, by the way, I'm going to stuck with it for another year because I didn't win the truck at last star BCO days last week. But anyway, uh, so the, uh, I'm going to have to get a, a new rad. You guys don't have a performance for this. So is the better one, the better company than any, or just the Kenworth Air uh, Radiator or what? It's a T660? Yes, sir. You have the part number? Yeah, I called. You don't have one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Hey, I'm gonna be visiting this guy that uh, claims he can still build me a custom radiator, so I'm going to call him right after the show. Okay. All right. You've cut What's out your part number? Else. Oh, I don't have it in my head. I called a couple uh, months ago. But okay. On a, on, a long, get, on a long call, it, the, the, I just got back from Reno. Well, I'm on the way back to Pennsylvania, but it, uh, it'll it'll go up and the clutch fan will run on and off, on and off, so I just leave it on, but I don't like that running constantly. And, uh, yeah, it's probably the original one. That's a 16. Okay. Yeah. Call me and get me the number. I have to go to the chiropractor right at, in fact, I'm probably going to have to leave before the end of this show. I'm going to have to leave at quarter to two. Um, leave the number with Pete. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's all I got. I'm just still retired. That's okay. There you go. All right. We, uh, this guy's retired about three times that I've known him. So. <laughs> We're going to head off to uh, the last call on the board. So if you want to jump in, now would be the time. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Wade, welcome. 
Hey guys, I was uh, just calling in. I have a maybe some a little bit of help for Ben there on the international cab over. I actually own one. I have an '87 and it's got the B model in it. And my oil, I think he was, did he mention an oil pressure sensor or uh, some kind of low yes. oil pressure yes. sensor? So mine is not actually on the block. It's an oil line that comes off the block. It's uh, the line comes off the block just above the starter and it runs up to the floorboard, like right below your brake pedal. There's a little compartment under the floor. It actually runs the oil up into the cab and that's where the sensor is. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I never actually put eyes on the sensor itself. The, the line actually, um, it's one of the AN fittings that screws in outside the cab under the floorboard. So I don't know what, what's, a, you know, there might be two separate sensors, one to, one to trip the warning light and one to actually give you your gauge reading. Uh, as far as the radiator goes for that truck, yeah, you guys didn't have one. I called for one, too. Um, I actually got one locally in Pennsylvania. There's a place near Ephrata that they do uh, all kinds of radiator work. That's kind of all they do. And they actually had the core. Um, they couldn't get the tanks. The tanks were out of date. They didn't make them anymore, but my tanks were good enough. And it's like, I don't know, I want to say it's probably like 75 or 100 516 volts that you take off on both the tank it's not a full-size radiator so it's it's like a split you know the bottom half is a radiator the top half is a charge air cooler they don't it's not like the charge air coolers in front of the radiator it's top and bottom setup so um it's an odd size radiator it's kind of small but they do make a four row my i think factory is a three row they do make a four row rat though well, that's good because four is good, five is over. Five rows, they say the fifth row doesn't do any cooling because it doesn't get enough air. But if you went from a three to a four, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, the rat, I mean, it, given it has the B model cat, the rat is, looks, I mean, it's only about, I'd say it's three feet by three feet. It's a very small radiator. And then the charge air cooler is only about three feet by maybe two feet. 18 inches is a very small charge air cooler too, but yeah, almost nobody stocks a, uh out the door unit with the tanks on it. So yeah. I think it was like a thousand, maybe $1,100 for the core. And then it was 1300 if you wanted them to, to swap it out, you know, put your, swap your tanks over. But I mean, I'm not a mechanic. I'd, I'm mechanically inclined and I was able to swap the tanks over myself and he gives you all the stuff to do it. All the, it's like a cork style gasket that you line the tanks with and then bolt them back on. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yep. That was all I had. But if I were him, I'd be looking uh, underneath his floorboard somewhere. Uh, there's a pan, you know, you got to take the, you might have to take the seat out to get the panel up. Unfortunately, I think there's the, the seat uh, I don't, to the you, floor. You panel. said yours was a cab over. I don't think Ben's is a cab over. Yeah. I, I couldn't quite hear his model number. It might not be a cab over. I thought he said, I thought he started to say 9670, but he might have, could have said 9370 or 9300. I kind of cut out mm -hmm. when he said the model number, but 
he might not be. I just want to let him know that on an international that year, he might not be looking for a wire on the block. It might be an oil line that he'll be able to trace the oil line to wherever the sensor is in that truck. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. Thank you. All right. Thanks for Kevin? the call. Yes. Go ahead, Bruce. How did you become mechanically inclined and how did you lose, learn body work? All right. So uh, mechanically inclined, uh, my earliest memory is being in the garage with my dad. Um, that was all. That was my dad's spare time was always spent in the garage just tinkering. Totally self-taught. Mm-hmm. So just uh, that just came naturally to me because I, I just I swear I think I was rejetting carburetors on my mini trail 50 Honda when I was like seven or eight. Wow. So just being around and, you know, there was always just something to work on. And then the body shop thing, I don't remember why I was, you know, I had played around with some of my motorcycles trying to paint them and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And um, I had a brother-in-law who was a body man and this guy was a freak, Um, probably one of the highest paid body men I ever knew because his, just how hard he worked and how good he was. The other guys in the shop actually, you know, kind of joked about him when he got up to go get a party ran. I mean, that's the way he worked all day long. He just, but he ended up living in one of the most exclusive communities in our area, Hudson, Ohio, really high end, bought a big, beautiful Mm -hmm. home in there doing body work. Um, that's how good he was. And, you know, I think about mm-hmm. this now. Um, he came up, now it's my brother-in-law. Um, I bought a car that needed um, a front clip and it needed painted. And he came over on weekends and helped me and showed me how. And by the time we finished that car, he had shown me enough that, you know, I started doing body work and painting. I was like 16 when I had that car, um, and then I started painting cars. The very first car I painted, um, I didn't even get paid. It was an old Volkswagen Beetle, and I told the guy, look, I if you will buy me a good respirator and a good gun, paint gun, um, I'll paint the car. So that's what he did, and that's how I got started. Then the next car I charged for, and um, I just learned from there. And then my junior year of, of high school, I was able to go to a um, – I would – I drove 30 minutes to a regional vocational school. I went through a year of training at a vocational school. Well, you were lucky. Yeah. I didn't get yeah. to go to Votech. I, Mine was, you know, I started out with a 55 Chevy. And there were rust on there, and then I had a 58 Chevy, and God, they would rust right above the headlights. And so you go and <laughs> buy the filler and Bruce, you know get what, started. And You know what I remember? The, the the rust was so bad there in, in, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania back then. We used to weld new sheet metal, either braze or weld, depending. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then the other thing, if you remember, um, do you remember Z-Bart? I do. And when you were trying to, Z-Bart was an undercoating. When you bought a new car, you used to take it to Z-Bart mm-hmm. and they would drill holes underneath and shoot um undercoating into the backside of the body panels to try to stop them from rusting. And it didn't really work all that well. It worked a little. Um, but then the problem was when you were brazing or welding new sheet metal in, that stuff was dropping out of there flaming. You would catch it on fire on the backside of the panel, and then it would just drip out of there flaming. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if your pants were, you're, <laughs> you're there, your legs are under That's the car. Right. Yeah. And your pants, your pants are up and it would fall and hit you on the leg and... Yep, exactly. Because that's where you were. You're, you were sitting on your butt with your legs underneath the car down there welding in or brazing in new sheet metal, and you've got flaming droplets coming I, off. You know, whenever I was a one-man operation in this diesel engine business, uh, I was down there in Harmerville one mile off the turnpike, and I was cutting some steel. And there were oily rags underneath the workbench that I was cutting the steel on. (laughs) And they caught fire. Well, you know, you've got you've got your mask on. Yeah. And next thing I'm feeling all this heat coming up (laughs) into my legs and my stomach. And my guy looked down and I wasn't quite on fire, but I was close. It's a good thing it was a fire extinguisher close by. One of the negative things about being a one man operation. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I remember the first valve cover gasket I changed on a 56 Plymouth that I had, and the oil leak stopped. And I said, look at that. I was 16 years old. Oh, yeah? And then I had to put a set of, I had to put a set of points in that car, and it wouldn't start, so I rode the bicycle down to the local mobile station where I eventually ended up in their body shop. <clears throat> their mechanic came up. I had the wire on the wrong side. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Then on the bridge coming out of Lindora into Butler, PA, just nine miles from here, I had a wheel bearing go bad on my 58 Chevy, and heck, we couldn't afford a tow truck. Uh, you walk to the nearest house, you call your buddy and tell him to go home and get my had a small set of torches and bring some files and stop and get me some bearings and we fixed it while it was sitting on the bridge yeah there you go say bruce earlier when i was asking about the the pickup truck i want a mechanical diesel and the whole point is i don't ever want to have to take this truck to a shop i want something that no matter what breaks on it i could fix it Mm-hmm. yeah you want a 94 through early 98 got it dodge right. With the twelve valve. All right. Let's uh, call. Maybe some... if you call down to turn around, call down to Jeff Nelson at Turnaround Transport. Maybe he'll sell you my ninety-five. That would be nice. I'd like to have that. Maybe he will. Maybe he's uh, listening. Maybe yeah. he'll. Oh. Yeah. I'd like to have that because I know. Not I'll be talking to Josh. Josh works with us on the. Josh and Mike Lane and I work with the. Three of us work in the owner-operator snowmobile conference, so I talk to Josh at least every other week. Got it. All right, let's uh, let's go to North Carolina. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, going back to last week's show, uh, I don't think you've got an answer. A lot of times, I'm in and out and can't hear everything. On the the air filter, you know, in the dirty environment. Yeah that you had several calls on last week. I'm pretty sure this came directly from David Count on your show, but he said to get a small child infant T-shirt and wrap it around your air filter or just slide it over it, and then you can I, take it in. I could see that. I could see that. There was a company for a while that was making wraps, and but they, they made them for the external filters and the canisters on the classics. And they wanted me to carry those wraps. They kept calling me and talking to me. And I said, I, I just don't see the need 
we don't have a problem with it. There's a, now, that may have been a place where um, something like that would have worked as well. But I, I could see the, uh, you know, a T-shirt being enough. Yeah, just to get the big stuff. I just remember him, somebody calling in and him answering that question. Yeah, yeah, that would certainly help. Well, we've but seen, it, you know, Bruce. The um, the example I gave is when I used to race motocross, and we used to tape like, uh, depending on how muddy the track was that day, we would tape uh, goggle screens on, tear away goggle screens. So as you're racing and your goggle would get muddy, you would just reach up and tear that layer off and let it go, and mm-hmm. then there'd be another one under there. Kind of the same thing here. Just have wraps. I, keep was that called the one that rotated? Was that called? I'm going to Google it right now. That fellow's talked to me several times too. That made that cover to go over like the the um, yeah Vortox yeah. air filter. Right. I think was that called engine air by any chance? Uh, that doesn't sound familiar, but it could have been. I'm going to Google it. Hey Bruce, just. Yes. Just for the fun of it, I just pulled up a, a 94 Dodge um, with 200,000 miles. Now, this is a four-wheel drive, but with 200,000 miles on it, it's still going for almost $19,000. Wow. Can you believe that? Yeah, I'm telling you, that B engine with that P7100 pump is phenomenal. Wow. They're all no engineer. Engineer pre cleaners are made to go on a the stack. We used to use those in the strip mine applications and coal crushers and things like that. I've used them on bulldozers. Yeah. So the guy that has that wrap that goes around you, you know what else would work if you could get some of the foam from the foam that we use on our air filters. From uh, yeah, Dave Quince, and just wrap it around. If it's a Vortox or an external air filter, you could wrap it around the inlet, and then just every day take that off and put another one on it. At the end of the day, that you know, would be pretty easy to pre-clean the air before yeah. the air filter. Yeah, something that would be really easy to take off and rinse quickly and re-oil and, and cheap enough that you could have several of them. Right. Yeah, that's an idea. I'll have to work on that. Anything else, Mike? Um, just a quick comment. I, I only ask this because I've seen it on two trucks in like the past year. But I, I've seen two semis with hood scoops on the hood. I, and I first thought they were that was just silly, but then I got to thinking how the, the airflow on the four, some of these hoods has a built-in box inside. Were they tr- forward-facing scoops or like cowl induction scoops? They were forward-facing. Yeah, interesting. Not, not huge. We, we tested that. It seems so logical. It seems like if you put that scoop there, you should just be ramming air into the intake, and it doesn't work. Yeah, it was almost it was almost uh, was worse. Uh, the cowl induction actually worked better. So cowl induction, the scoop faces backwards and it's back near the windshield, and it catches that curling air coming off the windshield. That actually worked a little better. Where we needed the scoop, 
it's almost impossible to put it on any truck, and it wouldn't even be a scoop. You would want to put an opening right above the grill, but the opening should be on the front of the hood, not the top of the hood. And you can't because there's just no room under there. That's where all the core support and everything is under there. Um, we played around with this on the, that truck slick. Um, David Counts came up, and um, we used we, – we were actually putting – smoke bombs on a pole out in front of the truck and lighting them and started start driving so we could see where the smoke was going. I mean, that was one of the ways we tested this. Here's the problem on the, the hood. There is a, there's a area of almost zero air pressure about four or five inches above the hood. The way the air is flowing when it comes off the, the grill and starts to make that curl to the top it misses about four or five inches there. It does not stay on the body. And that four or five inches is almost a vacuum. There's almost no air there. Well, if you take a mid-60s Corvette and you don't latch the hood and it latches back at the windshield, I think it's 105 miles an hour. The hood actually picks up and comes higher than your windshield. So... Is that we the, learned that the hard way too on the Pennsylvania Turnpike? So you're talking about the air that that air I talked about curling back off the windshield, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just picks the hood right up. Right. Yeah, there you could get more mm-hmm. air into the system by turning the scoop backwards and putting like cowl induction, having it face yeah. forward. There was just no place we could put it that it would actually catch air. And in order to do it, you would have to raise it up so high that it would really start screwing with your aerodynamics, and you might be getting a lot of air into the engine, but it wouldn't be an improvement. Okay. That was a lie. Yeah. The, um, the other option for doing this, and, and we were playing around with this. It just got really time-consuming and expensive. Um, the other option for doing this, Bruce, would be to take what are called NACADUCs, which is actually an air tab inverted. An air tab is an NACADUCT, but it's opposite. So you would take a shape like an air tab and put it on the hood and it wouldn't stick up. It would be down. It would be indented into the hood. And that sucks air kind of into those NACADUCTs without really hurting your aerodynamics as much. So we, we were going, airplanes use them for that, um, for that reason. If you're ever sitting um, in a plane and you can see some of the engines, you can actually see a little NACA duct there that uh, gets air in. It's just, it was really, really time consuming and expensive and hard to prove any results. Uh, let's go to Vermont this time. Casey, welcome to the program. G'day, guys. Um, you, uh, you and, uh, Bruce talking about your beginnings in auto body. I did, uh, school back in 89 and did it for 28 years professionally and still putter with it every day. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, so the guy was calling in about overspray on his windshield. The thing I found works about the best is you either get a triple zero or a four zero steel wool that won't scratch. And you use that, that'll clean just about anything off. You can clean it off chrome, you can clean it off glass, it won't scratch, won't hurt anything. That's uh, that's good advice. I have a really, really bad story about overspray. Uh, where I live in the gorge, it's really, really windy. 
and I was oiling my decks. Mm-hmm. I have I have uh, decks that are made out of. Uh, Oh, shoot, I just forgot the name of the wood. It's so hard. This wood has got so much iron in it. You've got to buy special... Iron wood. It's called iron wood. It, it's, it's very similar to iron wood, Bruce, but this one's it's got a specific name. And all the decks on the house are this. Tamarack? No, that's not it either. It might come to me here in a second. No. Um, you've got to buy special drill bits, and you can actually see sparks when you cut this stuff. That's how, yeah, it's incredible how hard this stuff is. And I use this oil on it and you can just apply the oil out of like a garden sprayer, like a pump up sprayer. And you just apply it to the wood and it, you know, protects it. And it's absolutely beautiful. Um, So I'm on the side of the house around the corner from the driveway and I'm spraying this deck and I'm spraying and spraying and I get all done. And the next day, Lisa goes to take the car somewhere. It was a Mercedes sedan. She goes to take the car somewhere, and she comes in, and she's like, what's all over my windshield? And I went down there, and I'm like, oh, my God, this oil blew all the way around the corner. Landed. I couldn't even see the car from where I was, so it, I wasn't even thinking about it. The spray was going around the corner, landing on the car. The windshield you almost couldn't see out of. And then I realized it was all over the entire car everywhere and it was hard and i played around with it because i i knew how to get that kind of stuff off and i came up with a method but my god it was a lot of work finally i called mercedes and i said can you do anything with this and they said bring it down and and they charged me a fortune but they got it all off what a mess i made of that thing yeah any overspray at all is a miserable thing to get off it is yellow and white lines off the uh highways Oh, yeah. There's almost nothing to take that crap off. Yeah, I remember a couple of I those. Was a, I was a victim of that in Colorado. They had no no rubber cones or anything up. And right. I, I had it all over my 95 Dodge. Yeah. We had to repaint it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's almost yeah. impossible yeah. to get off. Sometimes I think it is impossible. Yeah, I, we, we sprayed over it, <laughs> not, not like up in the wheel wells and stuff. Just put something black up in there to cover it yeah, up. Right. Yeah. Right. There was no getting it off of that surface at all. Yeah. There you go. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Arizona. Nick, welcome. Back again. I called earlier. If you got other calls. No, go ahead. Wait, and I'll, You're uh, fine. I'll jump off. Here. Okay. Uh, heavy hauls. I mentioned there. I hear you mentioned a couple of times about you thinking a Volvo would be a good platform for a heavy haul. I just just wanted to pick your brain on that and see what the, the thoughts behind that were. Yeah, the the thought behind it is this: the the new drive lines they're building with these, you know, two two really low crawler gears in that fourteen speed. A really low uh, reverse. I mean, lower than anything we've ever seen on the market. And then that ability to spec up in that top range in several gears to run in, um, that's the best heavy hull drive line I've ever heard of. It's, it's got good heavy weight ratings on it, gives you all kinds of options on gearing. And, you know, Volvo has that, that heavy hull model. I forget which... Uh, what the model is on that, though, but I, I'm thinking that that with that drive line, um, that's a hell of a setup. Yeah, I, I can see that in trying to get the thing moving, but 
I, I don't know the, the specs I was looking at. The the uh, the stoutest engine they make is like 450, 1850. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. But you'd be surprised how strong that engine is. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends on the application. But for the average heavy haul guy, that's not really heavy. That's you know, hundred twenty, hundred fifty thousand, something we, like that. I, I I just don't see uh, out pulling a. Uh, we, you know, a cat or a Cummins. Well, we weren't talking about out pulling. We were talking about a good usable drive line with the low end that we want, the ability to spec that thing to run in direct or a single overdrive really efficiently. And look, it, it, it's going to get up any hill in the country. We used to pull these same kind of weights around with 290 right. horsepower. So it, I, I, it, it pulls yeah, strong. It yeah, it, it's not going to out pull a, you know, a beefed up cat, or but... And, and I wouldn't recommend this because I don't think it's necessary. Um, they do make the D16. I don't like that engine. Maybe I'd like it a little more now if we understand it better. But the um, we were talking up to about 140 is what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about, you know, crazy heavyweights. But, you know, most people, when they're specking a truck to pull that 140, you don't think of Volvo. I mean, that's just, in fact, it might be the last manufacturer you think of. And I just wanted people to realize, you should take a look at this. They have a hell of a driveline setup. Yeah, I just think once you get the once you get it rolling, the gearing is not going to be as big of a factor. It's going to be a horsepower torque number. Well, they but you also know, remember a, a bridge, the the, the architecture of that bottom end is heavier than a cat. The, the bearing surface, the the main, everything down there is heavier than a cat. And that's why everybody went to cat. It's got that big, beefy bottom end, but the Volvo's even beefier. And it makes its torque and horsepower low in the range. That's why it, it might not be big, impressive numbers, but it's very, very drivable. Yeah, it, it, I can see the plus in the slower, you know, around cities and whatnot where you're at slower speed. But, you know, if you're out west pulling grade after grade after grade, I, I think you'd be going backwards. So that's just my opinion. Well, what I, what I, kind I, of weight are you pulling? I'm not pulling any heavy haul. I, I've looked into it, never got into it. I, I was just curious. Yeah, you, you'd I'm be surprised. Say, I was that it's not going backwards at all. This setup will pull better than most things we've put under heavy haul, except maybe some of the big high horsepower cats and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, um, well, I'll tell you this, there is not a factory engine that you're going to get to pull any better. Not factory today. Yeah. My, my analogy on that would have been, you could put a Briggs and Stratton behind a hundred gear Transmission, yeah, but that's that not load. no. That, ain't no, get you no you're, you're you're missing the whole point. This isn't the the transmission is ideal for heavy haul, like the best transmission we've ever had available. But you're it, it it's not there to make up for a weak engine. This is not a weak engine. This is an engine that's putting out a lot of right. usable torque and horsepower where we want it. You're not going backwards on this thing at all. Right. Yep. All right. I just, like I said, I looked at the specs and I just didn't, I wanted to see what you, what you were getting at there. Yeah. It, well, like it, I said, I'm not in the market. I was just curious. Yeah. Like I said, it, it uh, you, you don't see anybody talk about it, but the more we looked at the performance of that engine and the gears available, um, up to 140,000 easy. If you went beyond that, then you know, we might want something a little beefier on the engine, but this is not a 
a weak engine at all. It's the opposite. Let's uh, let's go to Missouri. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hello, I'm back. Remember when the uh, Saint Hel- Mount St. Helens blew up in the 80s? Yes. Yeah, I do. Was, uh, I was driving rider equipment, and they had this thing, and maybe Bruce heard of it. It's called a Turbo 2. It looked like yeah. a... That's engineer pre-cleaners. Right, right. And it had like... Now, that Turbo 2... That turbo two is made to go on like a bulldozer. You take and that's where we yeah. use those. They had, they had a, then they had the one that went on the stack of the cab overs. Yeah, and on on some of those we had twin inlets, and we had two of those up there, and they worked very well. They had the the vein inside that would put out like 95 or 98% of the dirt, it would blow it outside. So this one I put on this bulldozer, it's Caterpillar. After so many months, it actually, the way it threw the dirt out, it threw it straight down. It it sandblasted the hood of the dozer. We would we would hear them after you shut the engine off. Now these were cap over max Cummins in it. It was rider equipment. But Mm-hmm. You'd hear that thing buzzing, like running yet after you shut the engine off, spinning. Yeah. 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 You know, on the Australian trucks, in fact, I'm looking at a picture of one now. Uh, that fellow that had that dirt issue, he could put those stacks up there and put those engine air pre-cleaners on that. But I forget what kind of truck he had. Do you remember what he had last week, Kevin? I don't. No, I don't remember that one at all. Okay. You still see those around on some construction equipment, but yeah. not much. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just wanted it. That's the one. I think that was the name of it. And apparently it was. Okay. I'll retire again. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Virginia. Alex, welcome. Hey, how's it going, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? Hey, I called a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you told me to give you a call back whenever I found a truck uh, to haul fuel. Uh, I found a couple of trucks. I just kind of want your insight on it. I found two trucks. One truck is a 2019 Mac with an MT7. Um, it has 425 horsepower, 1560 uh, of torque. And my, my issue with it would be, is that enough power to go up the hills and some of the forums I read saying, you know, going up and down hills over here in Virginia by Charlottesville, just where I tied Charlottesville, uh, that those engines tend to get hot. So if the engine's getting hot, something's wrong. I mean, so anybody that just says, well, this engine gets hot when I go up, well, well, something's wrong. They're, they're not engineered and designed to get hot. Uh, we, we used to pull all these hills in the country with 200 and some horsepower, with the same weights. None of these hills have gotten any bigger, any steeper. And I'm, I don't want to drive a dog either. But, but sometimes we, we put so much thought into this. Is it going to make it up a hill? Has any of us ever experienced a truck that just wouldn't go up the hill? Yeah, I know a guy that had one. It was an NH250, normally aspirated. (laughs) And he wouldn't go up Stoopsbury Hill down by the Greater Pittsburgh Airport. If if anybody was going to have that story, Bruce, it would be you. Not even in first. Right, yeah, that's kind of funny. In fact, uh, the guy 
The guy went on to become ECM Transport, Eddie Myers. And, Is that right? And a very wealthy man. That's yeah. what he started out with, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, most modern trucks today, they're going to pull just fine. Um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned okay. about about that on most modern engines today, really. Um, and with, there's all kinds of things we can do. Just take it over to Pittsburgh Power. They'll figure out something. I mean, there, there's a lot we can do to improve performance today. Okay. Yeah, so that one, you know, it has your uh, wide singles in the back, and it's got a longer base. Now, the other truck is also a 2019 Max, but it has the MPA, and it has the drop axle in the rear. I so know it, you were, you were so talking to me last six, time that so something it, with a drop. So it's a 6 by 2 with a tag axle in the yes, back sir. that's liftable. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, that's an and interesting... They're have, both about the same price. Do you have gear ratios? Um, but the, the one with, yeah, so it's 341 for the drop axle, I believe, and then 330. Yeah, I don't like either. I, 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 I would skip both of these. We, we want to set these trucks up. We're down in the low to mid two ranges on the gear ratios. Okay. So okay. for in, okay. in your opera, so you're I'm, looking at day cabs, correct? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, you're going to have a harder time finding um, the truck I'm talking about. And if it comes right down to it, we could look at these other options. You're going to give up a little bit of fuel economy, but it is local, so it's not it's not the same as looking at this on an over-the-road. On an over-the-road truck, we wouldn't consider these gears ever on the, these trucks, but we okay. might on a local truck. Um, you're just not giving up quite as much, so... Can you get, when you've got trucks like this, could you get like spec sheets and email them to me? Yeah, yeah. I already got ECM reports. Uh, I pulled rig digs. Uh, yeah, with, that out from you. Since, uh, we're you looking, um, since we're looking specifically at Volvo Mac, why don't we do this? Why don't we make this a Friday project? So when you've got two trucks to compare, get us all the data you've got, the rig dig, the ECM report, any history you've got, and, and we'll just we'll do it just like I was going to buy a truck. I'm gonna go through everything and say, well, I'm looking I'm leaning towards this one because of this, and let's just go through the whole process. You got it, my friend. I appreciate the help. All right. We will uh we'll talk to you on Friday with that. That should be fun. Let's uh let's go to Iowa. Matt, welcome. Good morning. Say all this talk about air filters. Uh, I believe the one you were thinking of, Kevin, the pre-wrap around the air filter or around the, like the outside of the vortex. Yeah. Freedom air filter. That was screen. it. That was it. I do remember yep, that. That's, that was actually they were a sponsor of Trucker Charity and the Christmas group. Okay. Now, you, you never had anything to do with them, but that's they, where I remember seeing that. Yeah, one. there was a there was a year where he probably called me or emailed me four or five times and we talked about it. I just I, I it wasn't that I didn't like the product or I, we just didn't see a need for it. I just didn't have enough people that yeah. that it really but this may be a case where it would work. Yes, exactly. And then like Bruce was saying it's funny, uh, and Jerry called Friday, John Deere. Now, what Jerry was talking about, most of the newer egg equipment, they run two air filters, one inside of another one. So you'll have your 
external filter, it'll go through that, and then it'll be a smaller inner filter. Now, I would assume that's going to create extra restriction, but, you know, working in the dust all day long, you need it. Right. Right. Yeah, we're we're willing yeah, that, to. That's very common on John Deere. Yeah, this is one of those cases where we're going to have to give up some efficiency, and we're going to have some more restriction. But that's it's important enough. We've got to protect that engine. And then yeah, on the older John Deere's, um, going way back in the, I've got a '63. 4010, but I think they did this all the way up into the 80s. They had like that Vortox thing on top of the air stack, and but that had a can on it, so it would actually fill up with dirt and dust and leaves and all kinds of stuff would settle in that bowl, and just had a wing nut on it. You pull that off, dump it out, and that was before we even went into the air filter. Oh, okay. So a lot like the Vortox Bruce was just talking about there, but it had a bowl to catch it all. It didn't blow it out. Right. Okay, interesting. So, you know, um, then the Volvo engine horsepower rating. This is a big myth in the industry. So if we compare the 450-horse Volvo to a 600-horse Cummins, where does that Cummins make that horsepower? Up high. What RPM? And who runs their engine that high? Um Nobody. Right. Well, that was going well, to be my answer. Right. Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a 605 X15. They're down in the 950,000 RPM range now. I think one of them is, yeah. Uh, they're making torque. Right. That's where they're making their torque. They don't, they don't make that kind of horsepower down there. And yet we always talk about the horsepower as the important thing. Like this guy. Like, well, I, you know, I had 600 horsepower before, and now I'm only going to have four something yeah but you never reached that 600 horsepower no yeah if you're running any of the older stuff at 13 1400 rpm making power you're only making about 400 horsepower yeah it's about right yeah like i said i was referring to the the new x15s they're down at low rpms too so they're getting down there but the 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 engines that this guy was comparing to like you know, he specifically mentioned older cats. And and I, oh, okay. in, in the real world, these things are pulling every bit as good. And, it, you know, maybe they might not win a drag race to the top. I don't know. But it's not enough to be concerned about. These are not weak engines. And, and that seems to be the impression. He even said, well, yeah, you could take a Briggs and Stratton and put 100 gears behind it. That's not what we're doing here. Even the 14-speed. Um all of a sudden, 14's a lot of gears. I've been talking about why anybody needed an 18-speed for years, and now all of a sudden it seems like 14, oh, what are you trying to make up for a weak engine? No, we, we want some really nice low crawler and reverse gears, and then we want a nice overdrive we can run in. So it's just a, it's just a really nice setup. Yeah, I just... For example, here, I'm fairly flat ground in Iowa right now. Actually, I'm pulling a little bit of a grade here on overpass. 6.6 pounds of boost, 158 horsepower. (laughs) I'll drop down to six miles to the gallon, but as it levels off here, all the numbers will drop, and the fuel mileage will go up to 11, just rolling flat. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, Matt, any any advice on chickens? 
Boy, I could write a whole book for you, Kevin. I, I have a feeling. I know. It, it, even even the um, even the lady that that's there, they are they are just amazing people. The whole story just so. I might as well tell it because we're do, we're done for the day. I'm not going to take any more calls. In fact, let me uh, just turn them off. Um, the the whole thing actually happened. It, it was incredible how it happened. So this all happened so fast. We we really weren't in the market to buy a farm. I've been in the market to pick up, you know, some rental real estate stuff. And I was thinking I'd probably end up finding three or four properties, just land. I was going to, you know, get some cash into land and then we'll develop them later. So we're always looking. But when we saw this place, both Lisa and I just fell in love. So we made an offer on the first day. Um, We got the call back. I guess it was Friday now. And the first thing the realtor said talking to Lisa was, and there had not been an offer on this this um, property in 37 days. So we're thinking, you know, there's no big hurry here, but we got the offer and the realtor called and said, there's another offer and it's higher than yours. And I thought, ah, oh, we lost this thing. Uh, then the realtor says, but they're actually going to counter your offer instead because they like you. That, that was what he said. And he said, they are going to counter your offer and their counter will be lower than the other offer they have. So they're actually willing to sell it to us for less than another offer they had. Um, One of the reasons, I don't think it was a big deal, but we didn't require any inspections, not the house, the well, the septic. I said, I'll just take it as it is. Whatever there is, we'll deal with it. So then we get over there, and now we're into the counter offer, and we go back over again to do another walk through the property, and they're leaving everything. I've got a really cool Ford tractor, like a 1972 Ford tractor with the front end loader and all the attachments. There's a big John Deere garden, lawn garden tractor there. The entire wood shop, all the stuff staying, a big double stack craftsman toolbox. He's leaving it all. Um, and they countered lower than the other offer. We accepted. Um, then we get over there. Turns out um, the guy was driving a log truck when he was 18. His dad had a logging company, four or five trucks. And so he, we, we were telling truck driver stories. And so it, uh, it really was a, a great experience all the way around. But even she told me when I was asking her about the chickens, she said, look, if you want to make your life easier, just get rid of the chickens. And I'm like, no, I, I really, I'm looking forward to the chickens. Maybe I won't be six months from now, but we'll see. How many acres? Six. Oh, so you bought a farm at a farm at a hobby farm. Yeah. It's a hobby farm. Yeah, hobby. Okay. okay. All right. I, I, had, I had to laugh earlier, too, when you said I bought a farm. And I, I know. Only six acres. That, that's why but, I kept saying it yeah. like that. I know. That's why I kept saying a farm, because it's six acres. Yeah. Nope. And you got like to piss off. What's that? What's yeah, that, Matt? You need to piss off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'll start calling it a farm, because I know I've over the years I've pissed off a lot of people in agriculture, so I might as well continue. No. Okay. All right. We uh, looks like we're going to wrap this up for today. Uh, oh, I do yeah. have an update from yeah. last week. Yeah. Uh, my ABS issue and no uh, brake lights on the trailer. 
inspected the whole frame rail length of wiring. Didn't I mean, no, I'm not going to pull the loom all apart if there's no rubbing anywhere, but never found anything. So I just ran a new wire from the brake pressure switch behind the dash back to the pigtail on the trailer. And I mean, I still have an intermittent EDF light, but at least I have trailer brake lights. Everything's working normal there, but. Got it. The ABS, I don't know what shorting out where, but it's at least I bypass the, the brake lights work. There you go. All the time. All right. Sounds good. Anybody want to close with anything today? No, it was a good show, though. I, we had some good questions today. A lot of, you know, just a lot of good, straightforward mechanical questions. You're right. Mm-hmm. Nothing too weird or frustrating. Right. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. We will do it again next week. I'll see you back here tomorrow. I don't think I have any guests this week. Uh, I think we're just in for a pretty normal schedule. I'll let you know each day. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.